Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of MTG Rants. They're going to be ranting about a lot of stuff about like what's going been going on in Standard, what's been going on in Modern, what's been going on in Legacy, what's been going on with Watsy lately <laughs> as well. So I'm really excited about today's episode because we got a lot to talk about besides just new cards and new decks and you know what's going to happen with the future of Magic in the short term because there's a lot coming up. But before we get into that, Ross, how have you been? I've been pretty good, but I, I wanted to start by congratulating you on that cl- very clean opening, Tannen. Oh, you didn't pause. You. you didn't almost say Pioneer Cast. You were straight into MTG Rants. Looks like you're you're really you know getting getting the hang of this. It's only been you know two months. <laughs> yeah, turn to the corner on it. It's yeah. just, it's it's so hard. You know, it's such a muscle memory thing. But you know, because uh, a lot of people don't know before the show, you and I usually get together talk about what we're going to go over the show quite a bit. You know, we do a lot of our own stuff during the week to kind of get ready for the show. You, know, you look at stuff. You you watch streams. Do whatever, right? But we go over you know, at least the skeleton of what the show is going to be about. And we talk about that stuff, you know, I'm thinking about that, how I want to intro this thing, how I want to intro that thing, how I want to, you know, uh, do my, you know, funny little quirk into from one thing to the next, etc. you know, intro, outro, etc. And then the show starts and I just go blank. And, and then you go, you rely on muscle memory, right? You know, it's like, it's why do athletes train so much? It's so when they get in the moment, they don't have to think about it. They just do. Yeah, you know, if you don't follow sports or haven't played a lot of sports in your life, it, it may seem weird when they talk about people playing instinctively, but that that's what that means. You know, it's getting things down to where you're playing just based on muscle memory so that you cut out as much of the reaction time as possible. The more time you spend thinking, the slower you're going to react, the slower you're going to play, and that the worse you're going to play as a result. And it's, you know, it's kind of the same thing here, but it looks looks like we've got it down now. It's smooth sailing from here. No more mistakes ever. I'm talking reactionarily, just no more thinking before I talk. Wait. <laughs> yeah, no wait. no filter at all. <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute. That might not be a good idea either. I should probably work on some kind of uh, meld between, some happy medium between yeah. the two. We'll, we'll work on that for next show. For, yeah. to, for today, it's just hot takes expressed in from the, yeah, the most off-the-cuff way possible. Sure, I'm doing finger guns for everybody at home who <laughs> can't see this. I know we're but, uh, now we're going to play our word association game. <laughs> no, 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 no. That, that'll definitely get us in trouble. All right? I don't want to have to go uh, work with Ben Shapiro in the future, all right? <laughs> I think I'm good with, think I'm good. A little zinger right there, you know, for something that's been happening in uh, pop culture lately. I would uh, prefer if I never had to see or think about Ben Shapiro ever again. Yeah, I also agree. That would improve my quality of life, and I don't see or think about him very often now. <laughs> I think anyone who understood that reference and got it probably got a little giggle out of it, especially yeah. with, like, you know, the kind of pop culture references I make on the show and stuff a lot. You know what? I wasn't expecting to have that come into the show today, but uh, here we are. Those, you know? those are my favorite kinds of references to make, where you're, you you know that it's a very small portion of the audience that's going to understand, but the people that do understand are really going to enjoy it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, cool. Uh, you know what? Let's just go ahead and start talking about the magic stuff. We can kind of rant some more later if we want to talk about some other stuff, but the thing that you and I wanted to start off talking about is... What I consider to be the breakout deck over the last week, yeah, we've seen some and cool decks. And I completely decks. agree. We've seen some cool, and this isn't standard, by the way. We've seen some cool decks. We've seen some new stuff happening of new cards, but I think the deck that we've seen kind of rocket up the stratosphere the most is Sultai Ultimatum with Yorion. And this deck's really cool because it takes kind of like an existing idea, right? You know, like these Yorion decks with like some control elements, like make a lot of mana. And then it just incorporates a few of the new cards. Here they're like, it has Binding of Old Gods in it to kind of like help out. It's a removal spell and it ramps a little bit. But the real big thing here is it takes an old card with the Sultai Ultimatum. What's the name of this one? It's, um, what ultimatum? Um, Emergent. Emergent, yeah. I almost said a different word. It's Emergent Ultimatum. And then it goes and gets a trio 
of cards from the new set that all have this huge impact. Well, one of them's not new. It, you know, it gets Kiora best the Sea God, but you you put that with Vorin clicks and the new Time Walk all runs Epiphany, and you just put those as three cards to get, and like this is the big top end that this deck goes to, right? This is what this deck's trying to do is survive to the point where it casts this ultimatum and then it goes and gets those three cards. And if you've never seen these interact together, the way it works is you choose two of them, the opponent chooses two of them, and then the player casting the ultimatum gets to cast those two, the, the two that are left over. Well, it's kind of hard to, to, to cast them in a way that you don't just die immediately because if you give them Vorinclix and Kyorbus the Sea God, if you do it correctly and Vorinclix comes into play first and then Kyorbus the Sea God comes in second, it goes to the second chapter immediately. Because you get right? two counters you know, because of the Vorinclix. Right. Or if you just give them like Vorin clicks or Sea God plus the the time walk, like that's also really really broken because like now they're going to do a bunch of stuff and then do it again and like attack you with Vorin clicks and stuff. So there is also Valky to get off of the emergent ultimatum. It's a great option because you can cast Tybalt if they give it to you. So it's really searching for Tybalt. As you know, we'll get more into Tybalt nonsense later. But I was going to say this that, is a nice another, little uh... another critical one uh, that often you know in basically like in all those same piles like if you get if, if say you know. Kyorbesta Sea God is kind of the one they get when they're a little bit behind on the battlefield because that tap down, you know, your opponent's battlefield is sort of another time walk. Um, and if they want to press an advantage or build an advantage if you're in parity, then it's Valky that you get to cast Tybalt because if you get Tybalt and Vorinclex, you can immediately ultimate because you're going to double the yeah. counters if, as long as you order them correctly. And if you get the time walk and Tybalt, you're going to get very close to uh, ultimating and you're going to have a couple blockers to protect it. So, you know, you have a couple different packages for different scenarios, uh, but they're all incredibly powerful. I just played a full gauntlet show earlier this week against Corey playing the deck on Versus, and it was, oh, God, that deck is... It, it's a lot. Like It's very powerful. Every time I watch it from either end, I'm always like, how does how does the person win from here? Like, it's just, it, like, the deck just, it, it's all the good cards, right? I uh, I said the same thing watching from the chair, by the way. <laughs> as, yeah. as the opponent I, I was saying the same thing how do i win from here <laughs> yeah you just can't the the yeah, the, the answer was no <laughs> yeah i want to talk about one of the interactions that you mentioned for just a second so everybody at home knows about this because i didn't actually see this coming until like i actually saw it happen on arena if you have Vorin clicks and valky yeah you can ultimate right away because the valky comes in with double its loyalty that it starts with it's not just when you put counters onto it from using one of the, the loyalty abilities it's when it comes into play so that blew my mind the first time. I was like, wait a minute, you could ultimate this right away? How? You can't activate it twice. And then I was like, oh, like I had that. So what, what, what the weird thing is, we're used to the interaction with doubling season, which is sort of the closest effect to what Valky is doing. And doubling season, um, I guess it does, um, I guess doubling season does work with Planeswalkers when they, when they enter. It just doesn't, sorry, I'm, I'm off. Doubling season doesn't work on the, on the activation abilities because doubling season says if an effect would do something, um, whereas watch, uh, the Vorinclex just says if you would put counters on. So it just counts everything because it's it's worded in the most generic way possible. And so like there's, like we said, Vorinclex is a card that kind of like really made this deck go. Uh, I've seen a couple different variations of the deck of like what it does early, but it seems like the core is it's going to have, you know, like eliminates early, um, some ramp spells. You know, you're looking at Cultivate and a couple other things here. I've seen some of the ramp go in and out, you know, if they want to, um, play Jawari's Disruption or not. I've seen the um, the Mouthful Green Enchantment. Uh, I literally just blanked on it. Wood Willow Haven? Yep. Yeah, Wood Willow Haven gets put Sometimes, in there a lot. Sometimes Tangled Florahedron as a different two-mana ramp spell. You can you can kind of mix and match, but it's you know it's a little rampy, a little controly. Exactly how you choose to do that, you have some option. And uh, this got really popularized 
um, it, to to no one's surprise, by Logan Nettles, uh, took it to like a, a decent finish last week, and then I saw some other people kind of pick up on it. He didn't come up with the deck. I saw him admitting that he said that he saw he, like I think he played against it once, and yeah. like his opponent, you know, did the things the deck was supposed to do. And he's like, wait a minute, I'm the Soul Tie guy. I realize this is good. He like got the list and has been you know working on it ever since and stuff. And I gotta say this, the deck is really really cool. I think it's very very good. I think the deck is very legit, and I think it's the litmus test right now for like what you should be trying to beat. Yeah, in yeah, standard, I I completely agree. It, it it is public enemy number one for this weekend. Even right now, you know, like I'm uh, I'm b- before the show, I was watching a couple people uh, do the the SCG preliminary. Uh, what are they? Are they called preliminaries? What are they satellites. Called? Satellites. The, the satellites. Appropriate are, uh, branding. <laughs> yeah, sorry. The satellites are. I didn't. I made sure to get it right. That is your. That is your baby. I, yeah. I know. It's it's. Uh, the satellites are going on right now, and I see a lot of people making deck choices specifically because they're like, I want to be able to beat this Soul Tide Ultimatum deck. And we're starting to see the rise of the aggro deck happen right now in standard. We're seeing a lot of mono red and a lot of mono white, surprisingly, uh, popping up and doing very well. I got to tell you, I'm not surprised at a rise in mono white, given that I wrote my article this week about that about mono white and the different ways it's built. Um, I may so. have known that. I was trying to <laughs> up that, <laughs> well, thanks for the softball. Um, but yeah, no surprise to me. I, I mentioned this on versus earlier this week as well, uh, that I think this weekend is going to be a good weekend for aggro, you know, aggro tends to struggle. It, it, ironically, it actually tends to struggle early in metagames now because there's so much hype on social media in the early metagame because there's no tournaments, like there's no big week one tournament anymore. Um, so it's always like that, the arena early access event. And then that weekend of just people grinding the arena ladder and tweeting about decks they're playing. And you generally just don't see people get hyped up about aggro decks. Like, nobody's tweeting their mono-red list, right? The yeah. decks that people actually like and tend to gravitate towards are somewhat aggressively oriented mid-range decks. So, like, decks that at least are aggressive enough to, to punish people who stumble, but have a good amount of card advantage. And that's where we saw things like Rakdos get popular after the first weekend, where we saw things like um, the, the various aggro decks that were splashing to play Showdown of the Scalds, or the Nye Adventures, Boros Aggro. And, you know, those decks, yeah, they're powerful if your opponent is interacting, but those cards become a liability if your opponent is going over the top of you because you're slowing down and thus giving your opponent more time to get to that high-end card, and your card advantage is just not going to matter in the face of an emergent alternative. It's like you cast, like, into the story on turn four in your aggro deck, but you don't have, like, the counter spells that Rogue does, and you're not doing it at instant speed. Like, you're just not doing anything on turn four, and, yeah, you might get some extra damage through on turn five, but that's... Not going to be enough against Soltai, especially when, like, they've probably interacted with you once or twice on that, you know, leading up to that turn. And that's one of the things I really like about Soltai is the qual. Like, Black, I think, just has the best removal in Standard, and it has for a while. And that, the deck that I I always compare this deck to is Teamer Ramp from last season. I think they're they're both very similar. This deck is a little bit more interactive, but the Teamer deck was playing, you know, a lot of adventure creatures there was there was different builds that had Jorari disruption and, and different disru- uh, like disruptive elements, but more commonly you saw adventure creatures and Obosh. Uh, but those adventure creatures were kind of your bridge cards. You you don't want you didn't want to be playing like all ramp stuff. You needed needed you know some interaction early, and Bone Crusher Giant was it. And then Genesis Ultimatum was this powerful top top end threat alongside Terror of the Peaks. And when you you know Genesis Ultimatum, there was always the cross your fingers and hope to hit like three lands a threat yeah. and a ramp spell and you're like, okay, I'm good. You know, sometimes they hit the nuts and you died. Emergent ultimatum is so consistent. Every time they're casting it, it's doing something great. You know, they've got a, a lot of different packages. 
these decks play both Shadow's Verdict and Extinction Event in the main, so you can search for two sweepers and something else and guarantee yourself to be able to, to play a sweeper if you really need to. It's not a great use of it because your opponent is likely to just say, okay, take both sweepers. And, yeah. you know, you know they, they'll probably cover everything at that point unless you have, like, a 4, 5, and 6, right? Or 4 and a 5, I guess. Um, so, you know, the, there's just so much consistency now with what the ramp deck is doing at its high end, and that made it a lot more um, powerful. And then also, they just their fair game plan that it was possible in the ramp decks is so much better. Because instead of things like Terror of the Peaks, which are really easy to one-for-one, one, right, you have that Yorian plan of, you know, Omen of the Sea and Yorian and, you know, a couple other things. And the big one now is Binding the Old Gods. I think you you kind of sold that card short when you were introducing the deck. I don't know if you meant to, but to me, that's the card that really ties the entire room together because it connects both plans. It's a great card in your fairer, you know, grindy game plan, great to blink with Yorian, but it also ramps perfectly into Ultimatum. Because, you, you know, even if you didn't cultivate, say you had to interact more, you go turn four, binding something, turn five, you play your sweeper, get your sixth land, and then you're ready on turn six to, you know, play the play um, uh, the, the Ultimatum, and, and you're good to go. It also uh, happens, you play one Ketria Triome. You have, you see in these lists, so you can find it's a forest. You find that off the ultimatum, and so you can hard cast it. Tibble should you draw a Valky naturally. Love that. Just a fifth triome. It's already a Simic dual land, like you know, considerably better than than Temple of Mystery or whatever. So uh, a lot of cool things uh, you know going on as the list has gotten tuned to really uh, you know um, really you know buff the edges, I guess. Uh, and it, to me, it's just, I can't imagine wanting to play Genesis Ultimatum in this format. I think that card is basically just toast. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, got, I got a few things to say on all these things. The thing about the Ultimatum, yeah. This feels like the best version of Gifts Ungiven that we've seen in a long time, where if you cast it, they just like pretty much immediately win without having to do anything else. Like, Gifts Ungiven is broken, right? But you always have to take some extra steps. Like, there was a, there were some piles back in the day where you would get just two cards, right? you get like Unbarrel Rights and... A creature. Elish like, or Iona, yeah, usually. Yeah, put it in my yard, untap, like, cast my thing, right? This happens immediately, right? Um, I did kind of sell Binding of Old Gods. I, by the way, I, I keep dropping the of, because I've, I've realized the of is not in the title. It's yep. Binding of Old Gods. This uh, this was a mem uh, a staff-wide memo, like, or a Binding week ago. the Gods, or whatever. It's Binding, binding the Old Gods. Binding the Old Gods. I still mess it up here or there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I did sell it short. It does work extremely well in ramping, like you said. Also, we talked... We keep singing its praises, because the first chapter is the best one, so blinking it with Yorian is just absolutely amazing. You know, it's it's super great. Um... I was like wondering myself why there wasn't at least at least a few copies of Yorion in the deck because it seems really good, but uh, or, or, uh, the ultimatum only gets mo monocolored cards, so you can't get a Yorion in the package. Because I was like, this seems like a mistake to me. This seems like an easy thing to be doing. I would I see a package where I would want to get a Yorion like a binding and something else, and I'm like, oh wait a minute, that just doesn't work. I can't I can't get those cards. Yeah, <laughs> so, a sort of like value package, right? Yeah, and so I think it's really cool that it has the the different named sweepers. You know, we talked about Shadow Verdict. I actually pointed it out during the uh, spoiler. I don't know if you remember that I thought this card would be a player in Standard and possibly even in Pioneer because of you know a it's it's a it's a good enough sweeper at five mana. But the auxiliary exile effect of it could actually come into effect. Like we don't have Uro anymore. More on that in the future. <laughs> More on that in the future. Yeah. But we don't have Uro anymore in standard. But it does get some splash damage, right? Like the Rakdos deck is pretty good. Like I don't think it's broken. It looks amazing every time I play against it, and every time I watch someone play against it, they just lose, 
right? And then every time I play with it, I can't win. So there's some there's some lost thing there in translation for me. I'm not figuring it well, out. I, I can tell you what that is, Tannen. So I'm just what's, dumb, what's happened? Well, no, no, it's a it's a timing issue. So you see the Rakdos deck when people start playing it, and they start playing it when it's really well positioned. And by the time you pick it up and start playing it, it becomes not well positioned. And that's the issue with Rakdos. It has very polarizing matchups. It's very, very good against the decks people were playing last week. You know, rogues and the, you know, sort of mid-rangey aggro decks, the Showdown of the Skulls aggro decks. It's very good at those because Rakdos grinds with the best of them. It has really big creatures as that Croxa endgame and Ox of Agonis and things. And obviously plays so many escape cards in the main deck against rogues. So it just has main deck hate for that kind of deck. What Rakdos struggles against is ramp decks that are going over the top because it doesn't have much of a clock. You're casting at best Skyclave Shade. Oftentimes, like, you just don't have a good two drop. It's like Skyclave Shade, maybe Meyer Triton. Meyer Triton doesn't really strike yeah. fear in your heart. Turn two yeah. Croxa is not really hurting the Emergent Ultimatum deck. They'll pitch their Eliminate and be happy. Uh, and then, and obviously now that main decking Shadow's Verdict is even worse for them relative to what Teamer was. You know, Shadow's Verdict is awesome against Rakdos. Uh, and you're right, it is seeing a little bit of Pioneer play as well. It's, it's often, a, it's an option that the Bring to Light decks have. You know, like they, they play like two sweepers main usually, and they just kind of rotate based on the metagame, but Shadow's Verdict is in that rotating cast. Um, so, you know, what, what we saw was Rakdos did really well last weekend because everyone was playing Rogues to beat the, it was initially the Is It, is it Midrange deck with Goldsmith Dragon, and then Demir Rogues rose up to fight that, and there were these Showdown of the Skull decks as well. Rakdos was really well positioned in that metagame, crushed those creature decks, crushed uh, Demir Rogues. So we had a metagame where Rakdos was public enemy number one, and Soltai has come up to defeat the Rakdos decks. So Sol- it's really a natural progression, and I think it's one we've seen sort of repeat over the last couple of standard seasons, where we saw the Orient decks rise up last fall when Rakdos was doing well, and then there was that uh, that split weekend where the Orient decks did horribly. I remember they had like oh, a... They did, it was like... Astro, like, the, what's the opposite of astronomical? It was like unbelievable. Infinitesimal. <laughs> yeah, it, it, was, it was. Say that word again. Infinitesimal. Infinitesimal. Okay. It's not really the word you want here, but it is kind of the opposite of astronomical. Because their win percentage was like twenty percent or like less. It was unreal. It, it, yeah, it, it was just as it was worse than I thought a deck could do in a reasonable sample size in a tournament, All even with how much that. variance there is there. So. I'm not saying that I, I certainly don't expect the, this Yori deck to go that way. I think this deck is much more robust uh, and will be a longstanding player. I don't think it'll be as good as it was last weekend. I think that, you know, we're already seeing the metagame adapt to it, but I expect it to survive. It's going to, you know, it has sweepers. It has game against aggro. It's playing, you know, I, I, I think the list Corey played against me on Thursday's Versa show was four Heartless Act, two Eliminate, two Extinction Event, three Shadows Verdict all in the main. And on top of that, had some Elspeth's Nightmares and Binding the Old Gods. So you're talking about, you know, 10 to 15, 20 removal spells adjust because it's an 80-card deck, obviously. But that's still quite a bit of early interaction. Uh, so the, the deck is already sort of like, uh, maybe I, I should be a little bit more worried than I am because the deck is already sort of main deck to beat aggro, like Corey, at least Corey's list was. I think he, he would usually only sideboard two or three cards, whereas against the, the non-aggro decks, he'd be siding in, you know, 10 to 12. Um but, you know, I, I just the, you know, the rise of aggro and the reduction in the amount of Rakdos is going to hurt Sultai. But I expect this deck to, to stick around because it, it really is just that powerful. It's just so, it's it's a pretty significant step up from what Teamer Ramp was because of the quality of the disruption, like I was saying, and the uh, and the consistency of, of its high end spells. 
yeah, one deck that we've seen kind of like rise up out of nowhere that, you know, you, you said you wrote an article about expecting was this mono white deck. And when I think about it, like, and I look at this deck with, you know, I've seen it with more than 16 one drops. I've seen some versions with like 21 drops in it, right? And one of them is Usher of the Fallen, which, you know, garners more value as it stays alive. Then you're looking at Clarion Spirit and a lot of these versions of this. For some of you who don't play limited, this is a limited all-star from the new set. It's just a 2-2 two, two for 2. But it says when you play your second spell in a turn, it makes a one one. It makes a spirit token, like a one one flying. One one flying, yeah. It really yeah, important that it's flying. Yeah, it's important that it's flying. And when I look at these decks, you, know, you talk about how they have sweepers in the main, but all of them cost like five mana, right? You're not you're not you're seeing your you know your typical four mana wrath of God, or you know in the past we've seen a lot of like these three mana effects, like these the classic infest effects. You know, like black has almost always got some card that gives minus two minus two, and then it's got some more text in it. Like maybe it exiles, maybe it doesn't. Et cetera, et cetera. We have cards like that available in standard right now, but they haven't really been seeing play. And so when I look at it, when I see this white deck, I see it able to either close games in time to kill Yoron through a removal spell, or it has some robustness to, to follow up and, and uh, be able to rebuild afterwards where you just like, you play two creatures after they wipe your board and you can kind of rebuild from there. You've even seen some of these play one copy of Legion Angel. And they always seem to draw this, by the way, Ross. I always <laughs> get Legion Angel in every game. And so that's another card that's very much like Squadron Hawk, and like it just keeps replacing itself over and over again. Yeah, for decks with as low of a curve as the, this mono white deck has, it's very robust. It, it is. It kind of reminds me of the one that did really well at the Pro Tour a couple years ago. I remember when I first started playing that deck, I was so surprised at just how powerful the cards were and how much I could, you know, play on a one for one basis with my opponent, which you typically don't expect to be able to do with a you low curve aggro deck. Yeah, yeah, like Legion's Landing is just one of my favorite cards ever. I and actually. Uh, yeah, and, and Venerate Deloxodon. And uh, I've actually been been brewing, uh, like, Pioneer decks that play Ornithopter to try to trigger these cards earlier. Uh, but that's just, uh, th- you know, that was just a random, like, I was bored on a Tuesday night, and I was like, you know what? What if I tried to Ornithopter these cards? <laughs> you just try to relive your glory days? Yeah. Um, but the as far as the current version, there's also face, Faceless Haven now, which I think was a big step up for these decks. You know, I, I think it's easy to play just a little bit higher land count, go with your snow basics and play three to four copies of it. And that way, you know, you, you're able to apply a lot of pressure, force the sweeper and, and you know, keep that pressure going and, and close the game out before they get to the, the emergent ultimatum. So big fan of the mono white decks. If uh, I don't know just how fast the turnaround time will be on uh, editing this, we are recording on a, a Friday evening. Uh, had a, I was a bit busier earlier in the weeks, but. I, I I suspect that the aggro decks will be pretty good for at least the next, uh, you know, two to three days. Um, you know, but with standard in, in its first three to four weeks, you, you can always expect a really fast churn. So you're, you're never really entirely sure um, exa- exactly how long your deck is going to be good. That said, the mono white deck, I think, has some staying power because not only does it have a lot of ways to make it resilient against decks that are playing, you know, a lot of early removal and sweepers. But it also plays a lot of removal, which you usually don't expect from white. Between Giant Killer and um, Skyclave Apparition, and then the card I actually like a lot is Kabira Takedown because it's so good. It's so good with with Clarion Spirit, right? You just make this really wide battlefield, and you've got a two mana instant that can take out a, a rather sizable creature. So you usually play like two Kabira Takedowns and four of the other ones. So you're like you're a ten removal spell white aggro deck, which is really cool. Uh, not something that, you know, traditionally happens. You know, if you think about the Venerated Loxodon Legion's Landing deck, 
that that deck usually had like you know two conclave tribunals three conclave tribunals and sideboarded some kind of crappy removal spells like giant killer and, and skyclave apparition you know they attack they accept uh a mall of the skyclaves or counters from luminarch aspirant when you want them to and then kabiri takedown you know sometimes it's the, the extra land that you need so uh i like you know you, you don't usually want to play that much removal in your aggro deck because you want to be aggressive. So removal spells that have all these other modes, whether they come attached to a body or attached to a land, uh, is really, really nice. So th- those two things are, are reasons, in my mind, to believe in the staying power of the white aggro decks. And yeah, that's the big thing for me is looking at the deck lists, the core of all the deck lists for Mono White have been pretty much the same. It's how many and where they put their removal spells. Almost all of them have four giant killer main, but I think the number of takedowns or Skyclave Apparition's main or side is a, is a big deal. Uh, takedown's always main, but how many of them they play, because it does double as a land, which is nice. Let you have that little bit higher land count if you need it. And then if Apparition's made or not. The big one for me that you kind of touched on is what they do with their lands, because there's two schools of thoughts. There's the, you just play Snow Lands and you play, and you play Havens, or you play Castles. And castles are interesting because, like, your version should maybe be a little bit different with, like, glor- I've seen, like, glorious anthem versions where, like, you're making a white creature, so you want your, your creature land to make a white creature kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, the, the Aaron Barrich list plays four Castle Arden Vale, no Faceless Haven, because she's playing four copies of Glorious Anthem, like you said, and four Heraldic Banner. And they're even playing uh, Basari Sol- uh, Solidarity. Solidarity. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, two, yeah, two copies of those, I think, was in her list. Uh, really interesting concept. Uh, a very linear approach. Very little removal, just the giant killers in the main, apparitions in the board. Uh, maybe there was one takedown, but I'm not even I'm not even sure there was that. Yeah, there's one takedown in this list okay, that I'm looking one. at. But yeah, and you, you kind of hit the nail right of the head there when you think of Aaron and the way she makes her decks. They're almost always 100% linear in the fact that they have one goal and they're going to do it as good as it possibly can. And that goal 99% of the time is to kill you immediately. There was like a season where she played uh, the Golgari deck in standard for a tiny bit of time, and that's when I was like, you know that's the best deck if Aaron Barris <laughs> is playing the Golgari deck. You know, the um, the, the Wild Growth Walker yeah, yeah. Es- Explorer deck, the Brennan Decandio special kind of thing. Yeah. And um, she played it really well. Like, I love, I love seeing her branch out and play different decks, but every time I play her, it's always either she's trying to kill me with something aggressive in standard or I'm getting infected in modern. I am never happy to be sitting across from her because it's either always either a really bad matchup or I know that, like, I'm going to have the max amount of pressure on me in this game, not just because she's a great player, but because that's the way her decks are built. It's if you stumble at all or you don't have the right removal spell at the right time, you are dead. Yeah, and the the I really, really liked the way Aaron built her deck. I thought it was incredibly cohesive. Uh, you know, she found the plan she wanted and, and all her choices reflected that. And she made some choices that I think were very disciplined in that regard and choices that most deck builders wouldn't. One was Seasoned Hallowblade, which is, you know, probably one of the all-stars of white aggro decks. You know, you think of that card, and, and it's usually one of the first four ofs into the list, and they're in her sideboard. All four. All four. Mm-hmm. None of the main. And the, um, uh, alongside that, if you look at her one-drops, she's not playing Usher the Fahon. All of her one-drops, other than Giant Killer, are flyers. And they're, like, mostly just one mana 1-1 one, one flyers with slight amounts of upsides. Like Fairy Guide Mother, Kite Sail Cleric, um... And then there's also the one mana one one that's if it's your second spell, you put a counter on something. So you can put a counter on a flyer. So I kind of count that as an honorary flyer in that regard. So the entire idea was like, go wide with as many flyers as I can get. You know, they can't all be flyers, but that one one I talked about and Luminar Gasburn are both in the deck. They can pump flyers. Clarion Spirit might not fly itself, but it makes flyers. And that way, you know, if you're going wide, you might as well just, you know, uh, 
you know, you don't really care about getting the exact biggest body, right? You're, like, if you had Usher of the Fallen and a 1-1 flyer, your opponents would just be blocking the Usher off all the time. Uh, so all, all the, every additional flyer you can put in the deck helps all of the other ones because a, a fully flying air force, uh, you know, attack force is, is what you're looking for. So, you know, she kind of went scraping the bottom of the barrel for some of those card choices. But <laughs> yeah. if you really understood what the deck was trying to do, then you know that those are the right choices to make. And so I was, I was really impressed with the list. I don't think it's the best version of white aggro. I think it is the best version for an unprepared metagame, like of a, a yeah. completely unprepared metagame. So it might've been really good, like two days ago. Or maybe today, exactly. Um, but that kind of deck to me has like a very narrow window in which it's awesome. And outside of that, I, I'm not really interested, even though it's the kind of deck I really like. Uh, mm-hmm. I've, I've learned to check myself over time. <laughs> yeah. It's like, um, it just made me think about it. It's like a small problem that I've had sometimes in my deck choices for opens where we figured out what the best deck is. Like going into an open, we're like, well, if everybody knows that, then like I want to beat that deck, right? And sometimes we're playing the deck a week ahead of time. If you yeah, know what I'm we're, like, we leveled ourselves. We leveled ourselves. And then there's the times where I've just listened to myself. Like, this is the best deck. People aren't prepared for it just yet. Like, I think about, you know, my top eight with, like, mono blue shitters, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, I was worried about people, like, you know, like, leveling to, to beat the deck. And I, I can't remember sitting down for a matchup and being like, yeah, I'm like... There was, like, one matchup I was worried about playing in the top eight. And it was on the other side of the bracket. And I was like, there's no way they're getting through. So that's one of the top eights that hurts the most that I didn't win. I ended up losing to the mirror, and then the mirror easily won the tournament. And I was just like, yeah, it's the best deck. Like, I even, I thought about joking with my opponent, like, sitting down and be like, this is the finals. Like, I didn't want to, like, you know, sound like an ass or whatever, but, like, this is the final. Like, whoever wins yeah, you, this you, just has... You basically lost the finals. It just happened two rounds earlier. <laughs> yeah, and it was, it was one of the shitty ones, too, where, like, my opener in game seven, I'm pretty positive I keep, if, if I mulligan it, Everyone in the world makes fun of me. It's a hand that you can never mulligan, but it's a hand that you keep and you're like, I'm going to lose with this hand. But I could not mulligan and I could not mulligan and then have a hand that didn't because I was on the play. And if I mulligan to six and my hand doesn't function, then I have to go to five and then my hand probably doesn't, you know, functions even less or does less. My hand had like spells and lands, but I didn't have any of like the big the big plays for the mirror, so I had to like hope to draw them. And I did not. And then my opponent drew a lot of the cards that were very good in the mirror. So, like, I just died. Yeah, the, the model blue mirror was, like, 40% non-games and 60% of the best magic you'll ever play. Oh, that was my favorite thing through the tournament. I played the mirror, like, three times the tournament. My only, I think three times, maybe four. My only losses in the top eight. And in the other matches, I felt like, A, I was probably a little bit more efficient with the deck than they were. And not the fact that they may have played more games with exactly that deck than I have, but they don't understand that kind of matchup in the way yeah, that I you've do. You've played 7,000 games of Legacy Dollar, which is yeah. you know, a very similar kind of deck. So Yeah, in Magic, in Constructed, especially like Mirror Matches or whatever, like there's a lot of games that are just math problems, but those games, it's like dancing. Like you have to like, you have to give and take in the, in the right ways. Yeah. When, and it's, you know, sometimes you got to bend a little bit further, but mm-hmm. make sure you don't break it. And like, yeah, yeah it really is. Uh, it, it's, it's really fun playing those kinds of matches. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, if you watch, you know, uh, Autumn's uh, oh, uh, match at the Pro Tour with, um, with Reed, uh, really, really good stuff. It was one of those things, you know, we've, we've joked about, not joked. We've we've actually said that we think Autumn might be, you know, at least in the conversation for best player in the world. At that time, Autumn was like still like well known, but not compared to what she is now, like relatively unknown. Yeah, that you was a relatively. Tournament. That was like a breakout tournament. So going into that matchup, pretty much everyone would be like, "Yeah, Reed's the better player in this," and they played absolute like like they made Reed look silly. Reed didn't make mistakes. It's just you could tell that like. 
you, you know when you're playing in a matchup and you feel like you just got got every turn? You could, and, and Reed's a very stoic person. You can't usually see emotions. I felt like I could feel it coming off of him that he just realized he's like, man, I'm just getting owned. You know, like. Yeah, Reed was playing, you know, normal, just really good magic. And yeah. there, Autumn was just on another level. Like, what is it, S tier? Is that what the kids call yeah, it? I, I, yeah, S tier magic is, is what was going on there. All right, I'm going to go ahead and move us on to our, our next subject. We kind of um, we kind of broached this a little bit earlier in the show. We're probably going to like circle back to it again at other parts, but I love the name you gave this for us in our show notes. It's just What the Fuck Valky. <laughs> so um, for anybody who hasn't been keeping up with Eternal formats uh, since the new set comes out, Valky has broke everything. Now... When I had Valky at number two on my list for top eight, and you know, you and I were talking about it, and you were like, "Man, I think I may have had it like a little too low on my list." You know, I may have had it too low on my list at number two, considering the effect it's had on the game. But it's it's mostly because of a rule that doesn't work in the way that it's really intended. It that I feel that it's intended. And what's happening? You're seeing this in modern, and you're seeing this in legacy right now. Is if someone cascades into Valky, God of Lies, you can cast Tybalt. So you're seeing a ton of decks in Modern and in Legacy right now racing to cast a Cascade spell that costs three as quickly as possible. I have seen it happen turn zero, Ross. Like actual turn zero. With Gemstone and Violet Outburst. Yeah, and Violet Outburst with like, you know, Simeon Spirit Guide and stuff. So like a deck won the Legacy Challenge or one of the Legacy events last week where all it was was the eight free pitch spells that are that are Force of Will. So Force of Will, Force of Negation. It ran Misdirections, four Oko, and then like all of the uh, violent outburst-ish type cards, you know, all the cascade cards like that, that could also pitch, you know, the bl- there's blue ones that was Ardent Plea. Ardent Plea, Shardless like Agent for Legacy, yeah, and Shard- Violent yeah, Outburst. Yeah, Shardless Agent. Yeah, uh, I think it had, like, no Brainstorm or whatever. It was just all in on all this. And, you know, it had, like, the four Okos to play, like, play like a Farish game, but then it had all the ways to cheat mana, too, because you get Same Spirit Guide and you get Elvish Spirit Guide. Yeah, eight, so, the full eight Spirit Guides was completely degenerate nonsense. Yeah, when you look at this deck list, you're like... I don't know anything else to say than what the fuck. <laughs> like, so it's like, you see what won the legacy event? I was like, what? And they sent it to me. I'm like, this is some big brain shit. <laughs> like, and I'll like, you know, if you look at the modern list, it's basically the same thing, but just with all the same analogs to modern because it's, you know, only four spirit guides because that's the max that you get to play, you know, ESG, not legal in that format. You get playing four, uh, force negation and, you know, some other cheap counter spells, mystical dispute, uh, you know, whichever ones you, you, you need to play. Um, and then the, you know, the, the Valkyries. And then, you know, when I think of the legacy version, Oko is just like the backup plan. If my opponent goes two all in to stop my Valky plan, what is the one card I can cast that'll win a game by itself? And it's Oko. Well, in modern, that card is Uro. So they're just playing Uro as well. And, you know, it's just, it's the same fucking nonsense. So it's basically just the same deck in both formats, you know, uh, adjusted for the, the cards that are legal, but it's like trying to do the exact same thing. And it is, I guess, busted. I haven't even, like, as soon as I saw that happening, I literally just, like, I acted like they, those formats didn't exist. So and that's been the, that's been like the consensus effect from a lot of people. They're like, I don't want this format to exist. And a lot of people are saying, like, can we move the events from this weekend to next? And we'll get into a reason why they want that. As well after this. You mean uh, what? What events were this weekend? Is this, was this a big part of weekend? A, I think there's a PTQ in Legacy and in Modern or whatever. Oh coming wow! Out. People are like, can we please not? <laughs> yeah, can, can we just please, please can, not? Can we just not not do this? Can we just like move it back a week, please, or like a couple days maybe. Uh, we'll get we'll get into why in just a second. Yeah. You know, we're talking about this a little more. I I think this is really weird because I think you can feel okay. So like I think you've heard me talk about a lot 
when it comes in magic and like I've said this, especially with like rulings is I think intent should matter. You know, what the person intends, like why they intend to do things, like what they intended to, to accomplish with this. And I feel like Watsy didn't intend for Valkyrie to do this in other formats. And I just, just, just change the rule. Right. So that, so that's what, that's your proposed solution. That, that's yeah, what you my want? proposed solution is just be like, yeah, the cascade part of this just doesn't work. Is that, or you have to ban the damn thing in every format? Like why do that? The card's cool. Yeah, yeah, Valky by itself is cool. I agree. I don't want to ban Valky. I'm just wondering, like, does it, I've seen a lot of people say change the rule so this doesn't work. I've yet to see someone propose a mechanism for doing that. Like, what what should the rule be? Like, tell Dude, me how the rule asking, should read. I'm not the person to answer so, that. I'm an uh, ideas guy. I don't yeah. know how to actually make it function. <laughs> so I'm I'm already skeptical of of that being a solution because you you have no like you know magic. There's you know twenty thousand fucking cards like. If you change the rule in a certain way, like, is that going to break something else? Does anybody is, know? Is like, Magic Online going to crumble in on itself? Oh, I'm, I'm not even talking about the technical side of things. It's like some some other combination of cards going to become broken in some way. I don't know. So that's why I think, like, if you're going to make that argument, you got to lay out exactly how the rule should be changed. Um, my thing is that the broken card isn't the Valky side of things. It's the Cascade side of things. That's the common link in all of this. I don't think... Bloodbird Elfing into Valky, you know, once a tournament in your Jund deck is bad. I think that's actually, you know, fun and exciting. And if it happens to you once in a tournament, like, yeah, you might get mad, but like, whatever. It's kind of cool. And, you know, Jund could probably use the help because that deck sucks. So, but like, have you ever seen someone put Violent Outburst or Ardent Plea or um, Demonic Dread in their deck trying to do something fair ever? It, those cards have existed for 12 or 13 years now. No one has ever tried to do anything fair with them. Regardless of how good you, and powerful you think decks like Living End or Restore Balance are, you know, they're not fair. They're trying to abuse the Cascade mechanic. I'm sure Watsy didn't intend people to Cascade into cards with no mana cost either. So, you know, to me, it's the Cascade part that that is bad. Just ban them. There's not really a much splash damage, especially from uh, from... I guess, like, for Legacy, you lose Charless Agent, but go fuck yourself. I don't give a shit about Legacy. Do you have to ban Burning, uh, I mean, uh, Bloodbird Elf again? No, you don't have to ban the four mana ones, because stopping you from ever having three mana cards in your deck is is a much bigger cost. Then you can't play Force Negation, like, you can't play Dismember, you can't play Brazen Borrower, which a lot of these decks are playing. Um, you know, that's fine. It's only the three mana ones. Uh, it's really just Living End. And there's even, if you're a diehard Living End person, like, you can play the As Foretold Living End variant. It's just as unplayable as the other ones, so, you know, whatever. <laughs> you know, at least you get to put some blue cards in your deck. So, I, I honestly think that the best solution for this is to just ban those three Cascade cards and and move on. Hmm. Yeah, that, that actually might just be it, you know, the more I think about it. Because I think you and I can both agree, banning Valky, n not the right thing to do, but... You know, I thought about this, and I, I don't think I said it on the show, but I thought about this when I saw the card Valky, with it being like a cheap creature on one side, and this plane, this huge, absurd planeswalker on the other side. I was like, cards like this, whenever I look at them, I'm always like, how do we how do we break this? Like, there's always some way to break this. And like, it's funny that every format has a way to do it, right? Like, we have Cascade and all these other formats, and then just Emergent Ultimatum lets you cast the, the back yeah. half of this card. And, and I don't think anybody is going nuts about people casting... Tybalt off of their emergent ultimatums in standard, which is, you know, the same, the same essentially rule that you're abusing, right? You know, obviously, like, there's a difference between a seven mana spell and a three mana spell, and that's the problem. That's why the problem is these three mana cascade cards. 
You know, it, and are people, is there a big issue with people playing one Valky in their Bring the Light deck in, in Pioneer? That's the other thing they're doing. Like, five mana Tybalt, is that that big of a deal? Probably not. Especially a five mana one that can get Mystical Disputed for one mana. Right? So, to me, like, it, that that's what one of the key delineations that makes it clear to me that the problem is the Cascade cards. It's because nobody gives a fuck in Pioneer and Standard that people are doing this at five and seven mana. So it's only that they're able to do it at three mana uh, and do it so quickly and then power it out, you know, at that point yeah. with, with spirit guides. Like, So I'm kind of coming to your end of the argument because I think my, end, my my fix is the the I don't have time to think about this anymore. The quick fix. Well, your, yours is more of a surgical approach and the right probably the right way to do it. Like, let's just get rid of these cards. And I, I'm amenable to people who are saying, like, you, you know, Watsi uh, clearly Watsi likes, you know, modal double face cards. They're probably going to be. You know, recur throughout Magic. They're, you know, they're good for the game. Out. They're yeah. good for the game. I think yeah. they're cool. And you know, there's pro- like there might be something else that that breaks with these. And but again, like nobody brings up like what exactly? If you if you get rid of the Cascade cards, how are we breaking Valkyrie in Legacy? What are what are we doing? And and in particular, like what are we doing at that point? That's better than like Show and Tell Emrakul, right? It has to be better than that. Um, and that, like that's the other thing about that Cascades is that like it's so it's so clean it doesn't take up much deck space uh, and is really easy to build around so yeah I, i'm i'm surprised at how many people just want like a rules change which is a really like to me that's the harder of the fixes because you got to consider the ramifications the rules change you know a, a, and that's why like, that's why i was kind of surprised that they changed the the companion rule honestly last year uh for the same reasons but like it just get rid of these stupid fucking cascade cards. You know, I, th- I think it's a, I think it's a good way to go about it because, like, you made a really good point. It's like when you have the three mana cascade cards, you know, we can power this stuff out super fast, right? Like fast mana becomes broken, especially the stuff like the spirit guides, right, where you can just discard this card from your hand and make a mana. Yeah, and it doesn't interfere with your cascades. <laughs> it you couldn't do it with cascade. lotus petal. Yeah, but when you start getting into four mana cascade cards and five mana cascade cards, like when you start doing it at you know four and five, or or you're cheating it at five, six, or seven, then it becomes a lot more fair. People get to play the game because there's no way to really, there's not a lot of ways to like power that out without making your deck unbelievably inconsistent and doing all this other stuff. But when you give people these, what is it like, you know, nine to twelve copies of this card that just does it, and you can do it on like turn one and two pretty damn consistently, like that's that's where it gets really scary and it gets really annoying. And like, let's say the deck isn't even that good. Let's say it just like wins at a you know a decent clip, whatever. It's still like, can we just not like it? It's it's like you said. You know, I've said this a lot on the show where cards like that. I'm not a big fan of cards that when you look at them, in in the way they've been played in the history of Magic, they've never been there to do anything fair. And it's cool. You know, some combo stuff is cool, right? Like Storm is cool. You know, like Dark Rituals never done anything fair in its life or whatever. But I think any combo deck where you have to build around an engine or you really have to like work in your deck building, you know, to to make it come together is fun. You know, that's why even even in one with like somewhat you know media uh, somewhat negative gameplay experiences like um, Neo Brand, right? A deck that can win turn one. You know, often it was very interactive, but like. Oh, they play what like Pact of Negation is their one way to protect their combo, and otherwise like their entire deck is built to do this one thing. When you have a deck that is doing something really powerful on turn one, like casting Tybalt, Cosmic Imposter, but also gets to play Oko and twelve counter spells, like that's not okay, and that's the problem with these. Um, so you know, I, I just and again, the card that are that is allowing that to happen is Violent Outburst. Especially violent outbursts because it gets around force negation a lot of the time, 
and uh, and and what have you. The same is true of, of Tybalt's Trickery. Like, if you want to build a deck that casts Tybalt's Trickery on your Tormod script on turn one or two, and then just hope you don't flip into a Tormod script off of it, that's fine by me, because your deck is going to suck, and you're going to have to do a lot in your deck building to, to make things work. But being able to cast it off of the fucking Violent Outburst, and your only bad hit is Simeon Spirit Guide, so I gotta sit there pounding my chest to do a monkey dance so I can entertain the audience while Corey's flipping through his deck on Versus Live, which actually happened last week. <laughs> um, you know, that that's a problem. So, uh, and that's that's just another link. Like, we went through this last week with Tybalt's Trickery. Now we're doing it with Valky. What is the common link between these two cards? It's Violent Outburst. That's the problem card, everybody. Surpri- yeah, I, 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 I'm not surprised that you and I came to the same conclusion that there's got to be a fix somewhere that allows us to just have Valky as a card because I think the card itself is fine. In fact, I, I love the card. Yeah, we the card about, like, cool you could design. cast on turn two or cast on turn seven. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Big, big fan. I think it's a big reason why the Sultai decks are really good in standard as well. It's like, that's just another early card, right? Like when you're playing against mono white or playing against mono red, it's like, I'm not going to have time to cast on turn seven if I don't get there. So what you could do is you can play it uh, you know, maybe block with it, see what's going on, maybe take their curve out of their, you know, take the, their three drop out of their hand or take their two drop out of their hand so they don't curve on you and you get more time. You know, I played I played with the deck a little bit today and, uh, you know, against rogue decks, like just getting to see their hand was unbelievably important because I was like, oh, I can just make all the right decisions now. I don't have to be like, okay, they have 17 different cards they could play right here. What's the, you know, it's like playing its fairies back in the day when they had four mana. You're like, what do I do? I have no idea. I'm going to blindly click buttons and hope, <laughs> and hope I get it right, you know? Just close my eyes and hope it works out. <laughs> yeah. What do I usually do with magic anyway? Just, you know, <laughs> it's, like, it's like people are like, how do you play poker? Well, I just put a lot of money in the middle and then I hope more of it comes back to me. Okay, I don't, I don't really know what happens other than that. You know, it's what's the, the underpants gnome? Step one, get underpants. Step three, profit. Like what's step two, and you're like, we don't know that one yet. <laughs> we'll figure that one out in post. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, kind of thing. So, but I think you and I have come to like pretty much the same conclusion. I'm more on your side. Like now, I think maybe we just get rid of the cascade cards. I, I think it's a really good argument because, you know, I was gonna make the comment when you were talking about it, like, you know, what do we possibly break if we change the rule? And I was like, oh my god, is this how magic dies? They have to change a rule to fix something, and then it breaks another rule. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's easy. It's easy. It's easy. We'll just fix that rule too. And then you like you see three months later, and they're like. All right, rule 157, subset B, section 12. All right, so we have to change this rule yet again. But and then they're like, well, no, 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 we do that. We have to circle back to 47, section B, uh, <laughs> subsection A. And then, like, yeah, that then Chimney Hip becomes busted again, you idiot. <laughs> yeah, then it just breaks again. How'd you not see that? You know, and you're like, oh my God, you just. You just see the, like, I just see everybody, like, locked in a room trying to fix it, and there's just empty coffee everywhere, and, like, lots of bags of fast food, and people with, like, 15 days of stubble and beard growth. Oh, man. Yeah. That sounds awful. And we've seen we've seen them come to just, like, simple, elegant conclusions before, right? Like, they're, like, just change the way that companions work. So I'm hoping they become, they have something simple and elegant, because what we're referring to is, apparently, there's going to be, like, a, a, a... well, uh, not apparently. There's going to be a band announcement on Monday. We know some of it. We're going to get to that in a second. But we're assuming that something's going to happen there besides the the thing that they have said is going to happen. Something better. Otherwise, it, this is just embarrassing. I mean, yeah. Watsies does a good job of embarrassing themselves to begin with, but th- this is tell, just taking it to another why? level. Yeah, yeah. Can I, can I tell them why it happened? So, 
A uh, really interesting thing happened over this week. Um, we got an announcement of, I think, like four or five new secret layers, right? Some of them are pretty cool. This is nothing to do with secret layer. We're going we're gonna to go past that in a second, but there were some cool secret layers. Yeah, some, some of them stuff. have some giants in them. Right. Some of them had some giants in them, right? Randomly, Sun Titan is missing is one of the fun, fun things people were talking about. You know, all the, the giants from like M12, I think is what it was. Is that they made a Simic giant secret layer and a Rakdos yeah. giant secret layer. Yeah. So White just got shafted. But yeah, so White, you know, shafted. White should be used to that by now. But in one of them, one of the giants is Uro, right? The card that you and I absolutely love and adore and everyone loves having it in every format. Um, Uro's in one of them. And it's pretty cool, right? You're like, oh, that's an expensive card. You know, it's a good way to me to get to get one cheap at like an alternate, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. You know what, though, Tannen? You know, it's it's been around for like a year. And really, in the last couple months, it seems like it's gotten problematic. You know, it was fine yeah. for a while. It was, it was, it was definitely okay, yeah. fine. Everyone was, was having a great time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. No in, one complained in, about it on social media. Not, yeah, not a single person. But only in like the last couple months, it's really gotten so much worse. It's It's so different now. Yeah, you and I haven't had friends that literally quit the game because of the problem, you know, <laughs> No, kind of but ever, everyone's quitting now, though. But everyone's quitting now, though, and the reason we're saying this is right underneath that, there was a little disclaimer, and it wasn't like, it was kind of highlighted, but not really. It was kind of just hidden in there, and it's like, just so you know, there's a there's a banned announcement coming up soon, and we are planning on banning Uro in Modern. It was uh, it was Pioneer and Modern. And, and Historic. Then, I, mean, I mean, and Historic. I'm sorry, Pioneer and Historic. And, and modern, all three, and and we're and we're contemplating legacies. They're like we're we're contemplating retconning this card from existence. <laughs> we're, we're contemplating what's the fix that I always talk about? Strap them all to a rocket, send it directly into the sun. They're actually contemplating doing this, which is kind of funny because I've been saying for years, just act like this card doesn't exist. Like be, be like, accept your mistake. You know what I mean? Go out to uh, Mia Copa. You know, go out to Times Square. I mean, right, Town <laughs> Square. Ask for forgiveness. Whatever. Put yourself in the stocks for a day. Let people throw tomatoes and potatoes at you and stuff. Do whatever. You know, take your lashing. And I'm not a- advocating for that anyway. But I am. Th- theoretically, uh, you know, d- d- do whatever and act like this card doesn't exist. But <laughs> what? So you you did this in a secret layer announcement? I, I get it. You're like, oh, we didn't want to make multiple announcements. Blah blah. blah. But but why now? You've known about this long enough, probably. <laughs> I also, it's, yeah, one, you've known about this long enough. Two, you've announced it during the first week where Uro is not the biggest problem. It's like the first week in the entire year it's existed where it is not, I guess, outside of Companions, where Uro is not the biggest problem facing these formats. And so they're like, oh, you know what? Now that it's the second problem, maybe we should take care of it. Yeah, yeah. and someone made a good point. Uh, Pioneer's been out for about 16 months. 13 months of that, so a little over a year, we've had Uro. I can't imagine the format without Uro. I mean, I remember those first few months. They were great. Was great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We did an entire yes. podcast about the format and it was relevant. <laughs> were, I hate you. I still hate you to this day because of that. But yeah, um, you know, and there's some crazy stuff that's going to go in there. And like, I'm thinking of it in modern. I'm thinking of it in pioneer. I'm thinking of it in historic, like getting that card gone and like how much it just frees things. Like we're free finally, Ross. Like we don't have to, we don't, like the, the card is so format warping. It's like the it opening sequence works. of the Power Rangers where Rita Repulsa comes out of her little like cave After in the desert. Oh. Years, <laughs> yeah. I'm free. I'm, I'm so free. so glad you got that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I watched Power Rangers. Come on, man. Red I wasn't, for life. I wasn't sure go. if you were a little bit too old for it, but you're you're like in that range. I was in like second grade or something when it came sure. out or whatever. Yeah. I, I mean I love Power Rangers. I was five. Yeah, uh, exactly. I was a little older, but still, like I was still I mean dude, I'm a nerd. Come on. Yeah. I got um, the I got the Red Ranger that year for Christmas. It was awesome. Dude, I went and saw the reboot in theaters. I was like one of like seven people. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was, you know, whatever. But, nice. <laughs> uh it wasn't that bad. It was it was bad, but it wasn't that bad. But anyway. 
Um, as long as yeah, Bolt I loved, and Scully were there. Once they started also, going, like, all the different series, I kind of lost interest. Also, like, yeah, yeah, I didn't keep up with all that stuff, but, like, you know, I liked Voltron, you know, growing up, too, and, like, this is literally just Voltron. <laughs> it's the same thing, just with, like, a, a live-action show instead of a cartoon kind of thing, so lots of cool stuff there. But um, I, I'm wondering what else we're getting in this announcement other than Uro's gone, uh, possible changes to the way that Valky... Yeah, some fix to Valky in Modern then, Legacy. Uh, I'm thinking they're finally going to to bite the bullet and ban some cards in some formats. And I've, I've seen people talk about what they think is going to happen. And I like the idea of some of them. And then I'm not sure what's going to happen because a lot of people are asking for seemingly some random stuff. And then some stuff that really makes sense to help formats out a ton. Like I've heard people talk about pioneer. You, t- you do something about the oops, all spell decks. Like you just ban B- balustrade spy and uh, the other, the other card that, that uh, under that city informer, un- under city informant. Um, I've seen people talk about modern, possibly, uh, taking out some of the blue soup type stuff, like maybe you finally get rid of Mystic Sanctuary oh, or something I mean, like that. But then Oro is a pretty big part of those. Blue yeah, but soup even decks. then, as I saying, you, you're getting Oro gone, and then like let's see what happens because uh, if you fix the Valky thing, you take out Oro, like Titan decks come back, you know, like all this other stuff's going on. You still got the you still got Shadow decks, you still got you know Mono Red playable. So we'll see what happens. I think maybe you wait to see what you know. You shake it up there and see how how it settles. One of the ones that's surprising me the most. Have you seen what's getting legs and traction for getting banned in Legacy? No, because I don't pay attention to that format yeah, at all. It's, it's uh, well, b- besides the random stuff like Astrolabe stuff already, you know, they've already talked about and getting Uro out of the format. Is Astrolabe still legal in that format? I, I can't honestly, I can't even tell you anymore. <laughs> it should have been banned a long time ago, but it's not. But I, I think it, I think it is still legal. Jesus I'm not 100 percent. Yeah, I, I think it is actually. Now that it I... just shouldn't, it just shouldn't exist. But taking Uro out of the format does does a pretty good. Uh, I mean, even though it's not like a highly played card. Like, just getting that card out of existence is nice. But one of the cards people keep talking about is Dread Organist is taking it out. And I can kind of understand why. Like, uh, Delver has been just the best deck in Legacy for the last 10 years. It's very hard to argue, argue well, maybe not exactly 10 years, but I'm saying. It's overall, it's one of those times, like, people are like, oh, no, you know, Lands was the best from this date to this date. You know, well, actually, me, yeah, that's fine, whatever. You can have whatever you want. You can make whatever play. Lance was the Over- best until the Delver players decided to figure out how they could beat Lance. You're yeah, right. Do you, look, you played with me literally, like, week to week when that was going on, and you watched me get pounded by uh, by Lance for, like, a week. And then the next week, I was like, oh, I went, like, 50-50 versus Lance. We had, a, we had a good tournament. And the next week, I was just like, yeah, I was 4-0 versus Lance in the tournament. I figured it out. Like, it just took a minute. Yeah, you know, and I was like, yeah, it's, and then people stop playing land, so they're like, oh, I don't, I'm not getting free wins versus the good players anymore. You know, it's been the best deck in Legacy, right? And that's not exactly a problem, but knocking it down a peg might be something that's decent for the format, right? And taking away one of its things, this it kind of gives me the Dreadhorde. Uh, I'm sorry, the Dreadhorde. It kind of gives me the DRS feeling where you play this creature, and if your opponent doesn't interact with it or kill you, because sometimes they just kill you, but if your opponent doesn't interact with you. That the game, it, it's now a planeswalker, right? Like the game becomes about that card. And I can see this because Dread or Arcanist, with pretty much any blue spell that costs one, creates this like cascading effect that just, it just keeps going for the rest of the game, right? And it's funny because like I used to say the same thing about DRS. I'm like, just fucking kill it. Like just bolt the damn thing or whatever. But like that's, that's asking a lot in this format well, because it, that card there's a pretty big difference between one mana and two mana, though. Yeah, 100% agree. But I, I see. I, I'm not saying I agree with it, but I see why people are asking for yeah, this kind of thing. I would have thought that the, there would be more traction towards getting Oko out of the format, but I yeah, have really I, I agree up with that. It. Honestly, that, that, man, I would say just just get Uro out for consistency's sake. Like, don't have one random format where it's legal. Like, I'm not talking. We're not talking about vintage on the show. Yeah, but, vintage has um, been a real format for over a decade. It, 
yeah, if you can't buy a deck for under like 20 grand, I'm not talking about your format. I don't want to have to like uh, mortgage my house to buy a deck. Yeah, but, sell a kidney. Um, in before, well, actually, you can play this deck. Shut up. But <laughs> I'm being aggressive tonight. But um, I think if you take out something like Uro, and if you if you maybe take out like Oko, right? And like even if you take out Arcanist or not, right? The the Teamer and Grixis piles of Delverdex are still good. Like Gurmag Angler is still a very aggressive, good card. They There's still have Force World Days and Wasteland and Brainstorm. Like <laughs> if you do that, and then you maybe even take out like I say, if you do this, you need to take out Astrolabe as well. Because you don't want the format to become about these like snow pile decks that now are 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 better than Delver, and like now you have the same problem that you didn't have before. Because like the thing is, at that point, you need Wasteland to be relevant, and that's been a big thing. And like that's one of the reasons people like those decks versus the Delver decks is like they can invalidate part of your your strategy by by taking out uh, by taking out Wasteland out of your deck and like not making it relevant. Because I can't tell you how many times I've played in Legacy over the last years, which. It's not many. I haven't played a lot of Legacy lately, but against these decks where they're two, three, or four colors, depending on I just board out my Wastelands, and boarding out Wasteland against multicolor decks feels really strange. Yeah. But when they have, like, their deck just has a bunch of basics and astrolabes, like, what, what this card doesn't do anything. No, I, I completely agree. You know, th- this was commonplace against Miracles, you know, for years, um, and now it's basically common against every single blue midrange deck, right? Uh, and honestly, to me, that's a problem because Wasteland is Legacy's natural check on greedy mana bases. And it, what they've had to do is the Delver decks have had to become more mid-rangey as a result and compete a little bit more on that axis. And if you ban a card like Dreadheart Arcanist and you remove their ability to compete at that power level, then you're going to create an, a metagame imbalance. So I think that would be... A, if they decide to, be, to ban Dreadheart Arcanist, I think it would make sense to also give a hit to the other fair blue decks that said, I'm not a big fan of having like a huge sweeping changes all at once. I want to be a little bit more sort of scientific where you tweak one variable, see what happens, tweak another variable, see what happens uh, and move along like that. I I mean, honestly, like I would be happy if Watsy had more of these announcements, if they wanted to be more aggressive in other formats. Ultimately, I would just sort of prefer that they stopped fucking up. uh, But I guess that's not going to happen. Um, it's, it's now like, I, I'm at the point where like, this is, this is the world that we live in now. Like, I don't remember the world before like 2017, basically before Kaladesh. That was kind of the first set where like shit started getting broken very frequently and we had to have a lot of bands and but pre Kaladesh, what, uh, and, uh, I'm including Emrakul, the, the promised end in this, even though it was released the set before Kalash, by the way. Uh, you know, before then, like, there were some clamors to ban Collective Company because it was, you know, really powerful in humans and, and uh, Rally before that. That was the previous year. But we didn't have an actual standard ban before that outside of until, until you get back to Callblade, right? If I, I haven't actually correctly. pulled up. Uh, Missouri MTG, a person that's, like, very active on Twitter, has a, a cool graph that I had never seen before. They have a picture with from 1995 up to 2020. It has all the cards like banned and like, you know, whatever the, the I'll say standard for all intents and purposes because it wasn't standard or whatever. But yeah, it's from 2017 to 2020. There's just a, a litany of cards, right? And then 2012 and 2016, none. And then 2011 had two, right? That's when you had Jace, uh, and, Jace Stoneforge. and Stoneforge. And then you go all the way back to 2006. So from 2006 so to 2016, you had that one little mistake. 
right? That one was like, and I that's ex- that's extremely acceptable. Like that is acceptable. Yeah, and especially you, you because to, like Jace is an iconic card in Magic that's really yeah. popular anyway. Saw so playing other formats and was fine. You know, having it you know fuck up standard for a while, and it didn't even fuck up standard initially. Like it was held in check by Jund. Yeah, it took a year, right? So you know, standard was fucked up for six months, right? Uh, Callblade premiered actually less. Callblade premiered in February of 2011. I remember this because that was my first Pro Tour uh, in Paris, and um, the it was banned in June. So for four months, standard was fucked. And you I know, had an entire I had like the Tom Brady thing. I had an entire career between my first Pro Tour and your first Pro Tour, and then I stopped playing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, no, exactly agree with you. It's it's funny too when I'm looking at this graph, like when I'm looking at this graph, when I'm looking at this picture. There's a ton on the left, a ton on the right. You know, there's a ton from like, I say a ton. You know, there's one every year from 95 to 97, and then 98, 99, they kind of fucked up with the Urza set, obviously. Um, then there's like this huge gap, right, between 2017 and 2020 where we have another bunch, right, where we keep messing up. And then there's the design mistake that we've had in the middle where, you know, Mirrodin happened in 2004, 2005, where they had to ban Ravager, Disciple the Vault, the lands. Perfect they banned lands. the lands. And then Skull Clamp, because Skull Clamp was obviously pretty messed Skull up. Skull Clamp was actually banned the year before the rest of that. Yeah, it was banned in 2004, like, I think towards the middle. June, towards the June middle, towards again. The yeah, and then in 2005, they were like, these cards have done enough. They are like, just just get them out of here. Yep. Um, I played during those days. It was awful. Same. <laughs> yeah. It was awful. I remember playing Standard River. Like, it was, it was really bad. And so, but the thing is, if you look at it, if you look between, you know, 2000 and 2016, besides, A, a design mistake, and then B... Like 2011, where like yeah, these are just like cool, really powerful cards. Like we didn't realize how good it was going to be. Like I don't think they realized how good Stoneforge was going to be with living weapon. If it was just putting in normal equipment, I think it'd have been okay. Yeah, even possible even with sort of feast and famine, like yeah, Callblade was really good, but there was I I mean, it, it was, uh, but there was like the the teamer deck was almost as good. So it wasn't that Stoneforge Mystic was necessarily a a, a part of it. Uh, and then the aggro decks could could sometimes compete as well, in part because they were better against the Lotus Cobra deck, the Teamer deck, that, than they were Cobblade. But they were also reasonable against Cobblade because the Cobblade decks were a little bit inbred to beat the Mirror uh, with like spell pierces and stuff to counter Jason Gideon and fewer like day judgments. If you look at the original lists from Paris, they're a lot more, you know, aggro focused uh, and that, that shifted over the next couple months. So, you know, it was really when Dismember and and Batterskull were printed. Dismember gave the Cobblade deck an easy, cheap answer to Cobra, and then Batterskull helped it out against the aggressive decks. Um, I think you could have got. I think before that, you could have gotten away with just banning Jace and, and letting Stoneforge Mystic, Mystic decks exist. Uh, but once Batterskull got there, and Stoneforge became this dual threat, where you got sort of Feast and Famine against control decks and Batterskull against aggro decks, uh, it, it, it was a little bit too good. Sometimes you got Batterskull against control too. It just sort of depended on your hand, but. And so, like, what I was trying to get to with all this, like, what I was bringing up with this, with this huge gap of, like, nothing happening besides the design mistake and then this, like, the cards just being too good together. Um, you're looking at, like, a 16-year gap where magic was just kind of fair, right? Like, it was good, fair magic most of the time, and they fixed their problems. And then you look at 2017 and beyond, and there's just this litany of problems, litany of things that are going wrong and cards that have had to be you know, taken out of standard and, you know, other formats, we see these mistakes that, that went on. And some of these are pretty obvious mistakes. Like, you know, when these cards came out, we're like, what the fuck are you thinking kind of thing? I mean, I dropped a lot of F-bombs. Yeah, it, it took like but, three hours for us to figure out Felder Guardian, right? <laughs> like, yeah, it was it was done within, it was under six hours 
from it being from it yeah. being pre-people like there's took, an infinite combo two card t- combo took a here. month for us to figure out the right shell for it right yeah. like people had the jeskai decks early on and it ended up being the four color deck that was significantly better yeah. and that deck had to get tuned you know but we knew that like this combo was busted and it's going to be a really good fucking deck but the other thing is is like when you look at it and I probably need to find an actual graph of earnings for Magic of like where it goes up and where it goes down. The funniest part to me is if I know for a fact that some of their sales and money, I say for a fact, I could be wrong here, but I know that consumer confidence was probably at one of its all-time lows right after Mirrodin. You know, and then again in 2011, some people like some people left the game and had some problems with, oh, cards are getting banned. Like maybe I shouldn't be like messing with this kind of thing. I just, because people invested a lot of money into Jace. Jace was a very expensive card and they had it banned or whatever. But then you go to like 2017 and forward where like tons of cards are happening like this, but the money's going up. They're making more money. The game is more successful than ever. There's a lot of new people. So it's interesting. Maybe the design by fire, you know, thing like actually kind of works in what they want, which is getting new bodies. Uh, So I don't think that's, that's the reason why I think, uh, you know, and it, it, the, the reason that I love that you brought that up because it's, it's the key thing that in how I figured out, I, at least I think I figured out what's going on. Um, but it, for the first, you know, 20 years of Magic existing, uh, the competitive side of things uh, was a much bigger part of the profits of Magic. It was a much bigger part of the, their bottom line. And as Magic has grown more popular, it has bec- it has less of a share. There's so many other ways people are engaging with magic. The IP is, has sort of grown uh, and is now in so many different areas and will continue to, you know, touch in different areas. There's the they're now like, you know, learning how to uh, capitalize more on casual players, particularly via commander. Right. Which and and maybe even with cube a little bit, too. I'm going to interrupt you for two seconds. I think that's actually a huge and perfect point is I think when you see the real, and I mean real, like, skyrocket of Commander, it's been in the last, like, four or five years. Yeah. And I think it has a lot to do with it. And so what's happening is we just have less of an impact. So the fact that the competitive side of things is continuously broken and imbalanced is just less of a problem. So it's yeah, not that we they're... We don't care. We don't matter. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, or we, at least we matter less. Exactly. That's what I meant. Yes. And the and the reason that... I think it, the reason that things are going well financially for Wizards, despite the fact that... And, and also, I shouldn't say despite. And also, they're, they've continuously, like, you know, designed imbalanced sets and imbalanced cards, is they're just releasing a lot more product than they used to. There's so many more supplementary products that are less geared towards competitive players, so I'm sure some buy them, you know, secret layer products, like uh, commander products, uh, you know, versus decks or whatever, dual decks and and San Diego Comic-Con Planeswalkers and uh, theme boosters and, and jumpstart and I don't know, like millions of other different products. I can't even, I, I don't even try to keep them straight uh, because I know they're just not ge- geared for me. So what I have to assume is that they have, you know, a certain amount of staff and they spend a lot of time across the range of different products that they're producing and releasing. And that means there's just less eyeballs and less person hours being put in to the regular sets. And it's funny because when when this first started cropping up and we saw these sort of imbalanced sets, 
there was there was clamor to you know fix the problem and Motsi said like you know don't worry we're hiring this new play test or play design team you know and everybody was like great Watsi's finally like listening to us and doing the right thing and in hindsight you've got to say they were they literally just took the advantage of the free PR there and they're really just hiring people so that they could pump out more stuff right like that's that's just what was happening there they really like and you know, I'm sure a lot of them like aren't working on regular sets. They're they're working on other stuff. They've got to design different commanders and all this other shit. And you know that stuff is probably going still pretty well. And honestly, like the the competitive balance of those cards is much less important than just like the the coolness of them, um, because those things that like commanders are, like it balances itself because it's a four player game. Or like if you're doing something really really powerful, you're going to have to play one on three. And so the the things have to be three times as powerful to be broken, right? Um, like I'm going to attack the guy with Solvering, you know, like, like yeah. the first person to play Solvering usually dies. You know, kind exactly. Of so the, there's there's more there's more natural checks in the in the more casual formats because they're able to police themselves to keep things fun. Whereas there's no real way to police competitive players because the entire idea is that we're incentivized to just do the most powerful thing and and you know win the highest percentage of matches that we can. Um, and in that ruthlessly streamlined environment, your ba- the balance of the cards and sets that you design is much more stringently tested. And it's clear that Watsi has, you know, generally failed that test, um, you know, over the last few years. We've had pockets of good formats. I think the, the RTR format before War of the Spark and even after War, but, but just before the core set with Field of the Dead was quite good and, yeah, and very enjoyable. Um, I, I think, um, you know, we came pretty close to a good format outside. I don't know. No, really You're struggling to think of the good formats. I love it. I think uh, right now we're in a pretty yeah. decent one. Yeah. Granted, like right now we also have like three or four cards on the, on the band list and we had to change how companions work. So like, you Winter know, it was, was work. Yeah. Yeah. Like how, how many cards are on the standard band list right now? Right. Like it's, it's, uh, Veil Summer rotated, so it's no longer there. Let me pull, let me pull it back up. I had just gotten rid of it. Did, w- got, Wilderness Reclamation rotated, so it's no longer there. Fires Invention, Omnath. We're about to get. Uh, we already have Uro. All right, the ones that are currently still on, um, in into the into the wilds, or whatever. Lucky Clover, Omnath, Uro, uh, Wilderness Reclamation. Is that one? No, no, it's not. Uh, Growth Spirals, not. Uh, Cauldron Familiar. Yeah, Cauldron Familiar too. Uh, fires. Yep. So, uh, Oak Oko Field. Oh yeah. Oh, no. oh, yeah. How, how uh, could I forget Oko? Uh, Veil. Veil rotated. A uh, Veil rotated. Okay, and then um the the free spell, the free green spell. Um, Once upon a time. Once upon a time. Yeah, so that's eight cards that are on the ban list, and so you have, have to consider the companion the, change, right? So, I had the whole list for the last two years, so I had to, like, filter some of it yeah, out. <laughs> all, all we had to do was ban, ten, like, eight cards and nerf a, nerf two others, if you count Luris yeah, and Yeah, that's the other Dorian. thing. You could just, just add Luris to this list. Yeah, it shows up in a deck, but, like, it's not as dominant as it was when it first came out. Like, yeah. So, you know, to, to say this standard format is good, like, yeah, I agree with you. It's been pretty good. I think last season was still good, though we're still seeing the imbalance of Throne of Eldraine. Like, it, it's largely like, you know, new cards are graded by how well they supplement the decks that are built around Throne cards and, and Throne interactions. So, and it's, uh, it's, it's funny to me that Throne didn't break the rule that I always talk about, where you look at some of the bannings where any time in history where they've, like, introduced something new, right? And they've super pushed it. Like you look at Mirrodin, right? Like the introduced equipment, right? And artifact lands. And they're like, we want this to be, we want these to be relevant. We want these to be good. So we're going to push it. So there's some really good ones, right? Like Skullcap was really good. Ravager was really good with these artifact lands and Disciple Default ended up being too good. So they got like a band, right? Uh, we really wanted to, you know, push equipment 
and living and living weapons so they they made uh stoneforge mystic but then you look at like when they made uh vehicles and energy and they're like oh we want this to be like a flagship thing we want it to be really good that stuff got banned right like you're looking at like what four or five different cards from energy got banned you know in that that area but then like throne of eldraine didn't really have that little breaking thing like no adventure card itself got banned but then you look at uh clover got banned because it was too good with the adventure cards and then you know like some of the other cards out of it because at rate this might have been one of the most powerful sets ever created yeah you know outside uh like since of the last 20 years so we'll we'll get rid of urza block and alpha beta unlimited right it's nice that it fits in there exactly now right the last 20 years because it's like 99 yeah 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 so we've got a nice clean cutoff point there i i, I think the thing for me was that for the most part standard had only really seen bands when they made artifact sets right that's the urza set Mirrodin, Scars of Mirrodin is when we finally broke Stoneforge Mystic and Jace, even though Jace wasn't part of that block. Neither neither was Stoneforge Mystic, but it, it was really that's that's when things broke. Um, and then and Kaladesh. So it was always the artifact sets that broke things up until the last three years. Yeah, and you can throw some other stuff in there too. The artifact sets are more for standard, just in general. Like when you think of new stuff, I think of Phyrexian mana, and I think of Delve, the Delve mechanic, like. Those also were like, well, we might have needed to chill a little bit, you know, because they always, because, but here's the thing. I've said this a million times. I'd rather a company that sometimes makes mistakes and fixes it than never makes a mistake because they never make a mistake. This game's going to get boring. There's not going to be cool and powerful things to do. You know, if all the cards are, it's like, how many trade armadons did I draw this game? Well, you drew one more than I did. I guess, I guess I lost. Yeah. That, that's a perfectly fine thing to say when they're making the mistake once every five years. When they're making yeah. the mistake once every three months, yeah. uh, then, you know, clearly we're on the other side of the equation. And we're like, you know what? How about we tone it down a little bit, <laughs> right? To me, it's I'm, it's just hard for me to believe that these mistakes are going to stop happening as long as Watsi is continuing to pump out product at the level they are. And you got to imagine that if profits are good, they're going to keep doing the things that they're doing. And you have to imagine they're probably not hiring a ton of more people during a fucking pandemic. So they're, yeah, they're probably letting people go, if anything. <laughs> I, yeah, I have a, you know, sort of dim view of how things are going to proceed. I think this is just the world that we live in, where every three months is going to be like, what's the fucked up card that we need to break right now? Yeah, no, no, no. And it's, it's been pretty obvious, too, which is making it easier. By the way, I'm, I'm looking at this list of the cards that get banned. And I'm looking at the old ones because I actually, I, I played like, you know, mid 90s, but I didn't play competitively. I didn't keep an, uh, an ear to the pulse. Oh, yeah. I didn't play during late 90s. You didn't know that Dingus Egg was banned? Well, this it's not on the list because this is, I think, thing, I think this things that were from like type two or standard. Okay, I, I forgot the qualification. Let me see if you wrote about what, what the qualification for this list is. It's, it's was, just a picture. It doesn't say why. Was Whatever, Is Curdape like, on the list? That was banned in something. Yeah, I think it was banned and extended at one point or something like sure. that. But not 100%. But like, look at these cards. And in, in 95, it's one card. It was Channel. 96, it was one card. People at home might be interested in this. This is cool. This is history yeah. for a lot of people, you know? Uh, 96 was Mind Twist, right? This is this is a good one. For 97, it was Zurin Orb. Too good. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it was real good with balance and some other stuff. All right. 98, here's where we start to get to the broken stuff, right? 98, we got two cards. Uh, Windfall and Talarian Academy. And then 99, they went Scorched Earth. <laughs> they were like, we're memory gonna... Jar. Okay, hold on. Memory Jar. Let's see, if you, let's see, if you, let's see what you can uh, get. How memory many are jar. there? Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. There's eight. Eight. Okay. Memory jar's one. Yep. Uh, time spiral. Uh, yep. Two. Um, mana vault. No. Ooh. Is it that... might have been banned at some, but this is not on the list. Yeah. Um, because they had mana vault they and mana have... crypt I've, they in might that not academy have been legal. deck. Right? Yeah, they might not have been legal in the format of whatever this. Uh, lotus petal. Lotus petal. So three. Okay, that's three. 
Uh, Yogmoss will. Not yet. No, nope. no, that one's not there. This uh, is, that one's not on the list yet. It's not on the list. Period. So I'm guessing these are cards like in standard. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just like I remember. Yeah. Uh, I remember. Oh, is no ninety eight's not late enough that we start leaking into Lincivi days, right? I don't no, think this is not involving that. That was yeah, in block. Yeah, too. and that that was just block. I, I thought yeah. that might be might be the case as well. Yeah, because okay. Everdeck was the same um, as Lincivi Recipient. So yeah. Talarian Academy. Uh, that one we already named that one. That one's oh, we did ninety nine. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I'll count it, sure. But it's not one of the eight. Okay. So now, yeah, we'll just do nine then, I guess. Um, so Urza block cards that are also going to get banned. Um, Jesus. I don't know yeah. if they're all just from that block, by the way. I don't think I don't think all of these are from that. So yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what the rest of them are. All right, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read them off real quick. Besides, uh, mind never matter. Okay. It's mind never matter. Memory jar. Uh, time spiral. Recurring nightmare. Lotus petal. What oh. is it? Fluctuator. Is that, is that the name of the yeah, card? Yeah, the, the one that, thing that makes, makes cycling cost you less. Earthcraft. Okay. And uh, Dream Halls. Ah. So okay, a lot then. of cards, a lot of cards that fundamentally busted stuff and made stuff free. So um, we've seen this in the history of Magic. You know, if stuff's for free, it's probably not going to be good for the game. <laughs> and, and a game that has like limited resources, like we we have in this game. So I don't know. We can kind of like move on. I feel like we're you know harping on this a ton, but. I do, I do like to talk about it. You know, it is. A, I've said my piece. Yeah, you said your piece. All right, so so we can move on since you've said your piece, right? Is that, <laughs> I would, do you have anything else to add? Are you good? No, I don't think so. I mean, like, I mean, after seeing this set, after seeing Call Dame, if like you just fix the problem of of how Valky works, I don't know if we're gonna have a card come out of the set that we need. If they're gonna need to ban. Yeah, it doesn't, that, seem, so it doesn't seem like it yet. Maybe I'm being a little bit too uh, too chicken little leap, but uh, you know it, it certainly seems like the power level has been toned down at least for for call time. But you know we saw that happen with with RTR and Ravika Allegiance, right? And then we had a year of War of the Spark, the busted core set with all the color hoses and Field of the Dead, and then Throne of Eldraine, and then Uro, and then Companions, and so we're, we're like we've had this reprieve before. So I'm still not you know perfectly settled. Yeah, you, you're kind of, um, you're, you're like just waiting for the, you're PTSD, right? Like you're waiting for the next trigger, right? You're waiting for the next card to come out. You're like, come on, guys. Like, come on, y'all. Like, this is getting ridiculous. You know, we've, we've seen this happen in every set. But when Throne rotates, you keep hearing me talk about the set. If, if we stay in the, the path that we're on and Throne rotates, I think it might be in another little golden age of magic where we might not have this problem for a while. I don't think that's going to happen because they're going to keep printing busted shit. And I'm, I'm okay with it, right? Hope springs eternal. <laughs> Hope Spring Eternal. Also, I'm not going to lie, the fact that uh, the, I think it's a good thing. You know, we talked about the growth of the game and Commander being a very big, integral part of it, if not like the probably single biggest springboard of making the game more popular. Besides, I think it's like Commander and probably Arena are like the two biggest things in probably like the last like 10 or 15 years to happen to Magic. You know, and like really springboard people. You're seeing Commander sprinkle into standard of like the last like year and a half, two years. You're seeing cards start to get designed and put into standard that are like, these are Commander cards, right? And they may take that a step too far at some point. And we've seen some cool stuff that maybe that was intended. You know, this is meant to be like a Commander-ish card. It just like made it in. But I don't like the idea of like supplemental sets being legal and standard, even though they're not. But like sometimes we do have cards show up like um, Nexus of Fate. It's a really good example because that card had to get banned. Stuff too. I'm not a big fan of that kind of stuff. I have heard that Wilderness Reclamation, well, like in part, is worded the way it is because they didn't want to do it on your opponent's upkeep and have it be busted in Commander. I'm not. I don't. I haven't verified that at all. That's actually. I, I have heard that. that. They, that they didn't want it to just be another Seedborn Muse, right? 
Yeah, that um, tracks. And honestly, like, who the fuck cares if your commander players get a third seedborn muse, right? Because there's another one, I think, um, that, like, untaps your stuff. But, yeah, untapping on your end step was just busted. Mm-hmm. Seaborn Muse, uh, whew, that's a hell of a magic card. In its history, it's done some really cool stuff. Even in, it, like, I don't think it won a Pro Tour, but it came really close during the uh, Gifts Ungiven days. There was, like, a, there was a, there was a deck with that um, greater good in Yosei the Morningstar, where it did a lot of stuff, or it was like, uh, like do all this untapping stuff and like make a bunch of mana, and like you can't untap all your shit. It, it, it did some busted stuff in actual standard because that's the kind of card when I see it. You know, Commander was a a glimmer in its dad's eye, you know, or whatever whatever the saying is. You know, when when Seaboard Music got played, but that card, if you played it nowadays, like if you made it, everyone would be like, yeah, that's that's just a that's a Commander card they're trying to shoehorn in, you know, kind of thing. So because that card's definitely not good enough for standard nowadays. Like, true, but yeah. Okay, Tan. Yeah. It's time to move on. And we're going to move on to a surprise section that you didn't know was coming. Ooh, I'm excited. So, uh, Tannen knows this. Our audience probably doesn't. But I, uh, I'm part of an on, online trivia league called Learned League, right? And during the, we do, during the off-season, we, uh, we played you know, uh, our league in, in seasons. But during the off-season, d- different people who, you know, players just craft their own, you know, one-day quizzes. That can just go out, right? And there was a one day recently where the topic was a 90s baseball. As soon as I saw it, I was like, this is this is just Tannen's alley. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's weird to me because my trivia, my trivia knowledge is very uh, shallow. Like, I'm, I, I'm kind of a generalist in that sense. And so th- these one day things I tend to do very poorly on. I think I only got three of these. There's 12. Um, because it's like it goes very deep. But I wanted to put you to the test and see okay. how many of them you could get. I'm excited about this because I feel like I'm going to do worse than you'd expect because I was so young in the 90s. I might not remember all of it. Like, but well, well I, they're, they're really they're, they're very tough. So right, uh, uh, no, no expectations. But question okay. one. Uh, this is one of the three that I got, by the way. Okay. So I'll tell you the three I got. I expect you to get those. Tell me after. I don't want the pressure. Okay. Yeah, yeah. What player began his 14-year MLB career by winning Rookie of the Year in 1998? a season in which he struck out 20 batters in a game against the eventual division-winning Houston Astros. Uh, Kerry Wood. That is correct. I watched that game. I was homesick from school, and w- everybody did the same thing. They're homesick from school. They would watch The Price is Right. Yeah, like I, that's whatever. what I would. But if you had WGN at noon, my time, Cubs games would come on. So I'd watch the Cubs game. I remember being like, yo, this kid's going to be good. <laughs> and he was for like four years. Uh, okay, number two. Because of the COVID-related cancellation of the 2020 Hall of Fame induction ceremony, only three first-round draft picks from 1990 to 1999 have been inducted into the National Baseball Hall of Fame. Name the only one, a first ballot selection, to play his entire career for the same team. So it's for all, so in between 1990 and 1999. They were drafted in the, in the 90s and uh, in the first round. Th- only three of them have been inducted. Um, all right. I think this is wrong, but my first inclination was Chipper Jones. I think that's wrong because I think he was too late. Chipper Jones is correct. All right, so Chipper Jones is correct. Two for that two. was my first one is Chipper Jones. Okay, cool. I, I did not I get say, that I one, th- by the way. I was going to say, my next guess might have been Jeter, but like I don't know what year he got drafted. I think he might have been 2000. So Derek Jeter was the answer I submitted. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's a very good guess, but yeah, yeah. Chipper, I was going to say, I couldn't remember because his first year was uh, was like 94, I think. It was 93 or 94. So uh, go ahead. Okay, Sorry. number three. 
1994 season was famously cut short by a strike due in part to the owner's request for a salary cap. Which team had the best record in Major League Baseball when play was stopped? The Montreal Expos. <laughs> also correct. That is the second one that I got correct. Yeah. The team that no longer exists. So they're in Washington now. Uh, yeah, that yeah. Was, that's one of those um, the stories about what if, because, you know, they're always a joke of a franchise. Like they had a lot of problems keeping talent. That team was unreal. Go ahead. Okay. Number four. Complete this list. Ricky Henderson. Cal Ripken Jr. Blank. Frank Thomas. Frank Thomas. Mo Vaughn. Juan Gonzalez. Ken Griffey Jr. Juan Gonzalez. Yvonne Rodriguez. I'm assuming this is a list of MVPs. This has to be the list of MVPs. I'm still not sure exactly what it is. My assumption, what it was, it is. My assumption is that it was the list of AL MVPs because all these people played in the AL MVPs because, like, they they talked about it a lot because uh, Juan Gonzalez got it a couple years where he was probably he should have been like seventh, but like back then we had we had the wrong metrics. Uh, Say the first like four again. It was like it was Ricky Henderson, Henderson, Cal Ripken Jr. Blank. So that's where you need to fill in. Then Frank Thomas. Frank Thomas again. Good God. I, I, I think it's going to take too long for me to guess this. I'm just going to guess. Um, it's not Kirby, I don't think. I, I wish I had the year. Um, if you think it's if it's 90s baseball, I would assume Ricky Andrews was 1990, so you need 92. Yeah, that, yeah, that, that was like, 92, like very early 90s in the American League. Yeah. Um, I also thought I remembered Yvonne Rodriguez won in 99 exactly. So I, I yeah. do think this is an AL MVP list, but it's it's, it's AL MVPs for sure. Um, I don't I don't know, and I don't want to take too long to guess. What's the answer? It was Dennis Eckersley, old okay, veteran yeah, sidearm. Yeah. Is the is the yeah the year that he won? Yeah, okay, sure, yeah, sure, sure. Okay, number five. A total of eight teams did not lose a playoff series during the 1990s. Of those six, of those eight, six did not play in a playoff series in the decade. Name the two teams who won every playoff series in which they played during the 90s. So how many is that? Six. There's six you, of them. You, there's two of them. Because six, eight teams right. never lost a playoff series. Six of them only lost because they never played one. There's zero. For right. zero. One, one that played and got off is the Florida Marlins. That is one of them. I got that one. I did not get the other one. Because the Florida Marlins, until this year, had never lost a playoff series. And the Atlanta Braves got them. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, so Florida, and then, God, it's a team that... So you know it's a team that won the World Series. I, okay, I, th- I think I've got it. Yeah. It's Cincinnati Reds. It is not the Reds. Okay, it's the Toronto Blue Jays. T- Blue Jays is what I went with. It is the Minnesota Twins. Okay, that's what, uh, it's, it's, it had to be a team that won in the early '90s because uh, if I remember right, I think it was like the Reds in '89 or '90. There was like the Twins in, and then it was like Blue Jays, Blue Jays, then Twins or something like that were the champions. And it had to be one of those teams because they were really bad after that and didn't even make the playoffs. Yeah. So it had to be a team that won or a team that won in like '99 and didn't play before, you know, or something like that. So yeah. Okay, number six. Name the four players to win Cy Young awards with multiple teams in the '90s. Greg Maddox. Uh, Roger Clemens. So Greg Maddox, Roger Clemens. I don't know if Randy did it in the 90s. Greg Maddox, Roger Clemens. Did Pedro win one with LA? All right, so Greg Maddox, Roger Clemens. Uh, shit. I feel like I should I should know this quickly. I'm going to go Greg Maddox, Roger Clemens, Randy Johnson, and I don't know if I think he got traded in 99. I'm not 100% of that. I don't think it's Randy Johnson, but... Uh, I'm, I'm like blanking. I had an answer. And I'm just blanking, but uh, I don't want to take too long. Go ahead. Okay. Well, I'm going to give you credit since the four names that you said are the four correct answers, but. Oh, nice. It's Greg yeah. Maddox, Roger Clemens, Pedro Martinez, and Randy Johnson. 
Yeah, I, I figured it was it was Pedro because he got it in L.A. and the, I mean or Montreal. In Montreal, and, yeah, he he won him in yeah. multiple leagues. I I knew Clements, Pedro, and Randy, and for whatever reason, I knew it was one of the Braves guys, but I guessed Tom Glavin instead of Greg Maddox. Uh, Glavin and Smoltz had their best careers with the Braves, even though yeah. they were with somebody else. Maddox was already good before he got to the Braves. Yeah, like I I just in my head I knew it was one of the Braves guys, and I just guessed the wrong one. So I did name all four. Sweet. All right. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you credit. That would be my guess if I had to write it down, you know, if I would have thought deeper, but yeah, go ahead. Okay, number seven. What team holds the record for the highest single season attendance figure set during the 1993 season in which they finished sixth in their division, 37 games behind the eventual champion Atlanta Braves? See, this is a trick question because the Braves were in the West then, if I remember right, so they wouldn't be in the East. Um, The San Francisco Giants? No, the, they weren't. They weren't that bad. But what's up? It was the Colorado Rockies. Colorado Rockies. You know what? That just makes perfect sense. Actually, I'm stupid. Go ahead. Because they were an expansion. Because that's why they got moved because of expansion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I did not know that the Braves used to be in the West, so I guessed an East team like the Phillies. Yeah. yeah or that's something. what I'm saying. This is a trick question. It's one of the ones where you need to know your history. And like, if I thought a little longer, I forgot the Rockies were a team in '93. Go ahead. I thought for some reason it was '96 or whatever. But... I expect this one is going to be a gimme for you. In April of 1999, which NL Central slugger and soon-to-be father became the only player in history to hit two grand slams in the same inning? It'd be uh, Fernando Tatis. That is correct. <laughs> Dad of uh, the, the Fernando the Tatis Jr. franchise. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember this. He did it for the St. Louis Cardinals, hitting behind Mark McGuire. Good. Nice. Number nine. It was against the Dodgers, too, by the way. Both those home runs were off Chan Ho Park. Nice. Got in, it. In 1998, MLB expanded to 30 teams, with the Arizona Diamondbacks joining the National League and the Tampa Bay Devil Rays joining the American League. Which established team then switched leagues in order to avoid the scheduling difficulty of each league having an odd number of teams, as this was prior to the implementation of full-time interleague play? The Milwaukee Brewers. That is correct. That is the third one that I got, by the way. That, yeah, that's a, the that's a one that gets people to because they think it's the Astros, but the Astros hadn't switched leagues yet. Number 10. During the 1990s, a total of seven players joined baseball's 3,000-hit club, while only two players joined the 500-home run club. Who was the only player to join both clubs during the 1990s, accomplishing so the, the feat 90s. in back-to-back seasons, albeit with different teams? Oh, this is a good one. I'm probably not going to have time to get this one, but. Yeah, this is one of those names that I like know nothing about the person, but I know they are a baseball player. And that is. <laughs> it, happened, happened, it happened in the 90s? Yeah. So one year they passed one of those marks. The next year they passed the other mark and they were with different teams in each of those seasons. Like it's, I want to say like Rafael Palmero, but I don't think that's right. That um, was the, that was the one that came to my head, but I knew that was the yeah. 2000s. It's too late. Yeah, I was going to say it's too late. Um. I don't know. Just give the answer. I don't think it's, it's too much longer. Eddie Murray. You know what? I, I like. I was like thinking. I was like, it's not Robinson, but I was thinking it's like the other third baseman that's like really good that nobody ever remembers. It's Murray. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely okay. Right. I legit was thinking that. Good. Two more. Okay. Question eleven: Which first baseman began his seventeen-year MLB career in August 1997, just three years after he was replaced by Peyton Manning in a college football game against Mississippi Todd State? Helton. It is Todd Helton. Yeah, that's actually a cool story that people don't know about that. But they both went to Tennessee, and Todd Helton was the starting quarterback, and uh, he got Wally pipped by uh, <laughs> by Peyton Manning. <laughs> Good. I think he made the right decision. He ended up making like 160 million in uh, in, in baseball, and like he's arguably a Hall of Famer. So yeah, I think it worked out for him. Yeah, it worked out pretty well. And uh, number twelve, finally, a walk off question. Okay. Three of the nine World Series played in the '90s featured walk off series wins. Name the three players that had walk off hits in those games. 
Uh, Gary Carter is like the the one that that jumps out because he won the World Series of the walk off. He's one of like I think two people to walk off an entire World Series. So he did that for Toronto. Uh, that is his name, right? It's Gary Carter. I'll tell you if you're right when you get all three. Okay, I'm not going to get all three, but it's, it's, they just ended a playoff series or a playoff game. Ended and it says not three of the nine World Series featured walk off series wins. So the series ended on each of these three walk-offs. That's, uh, I don't know if that's right. This, that might not be worded correctly because the, the World Series is only ever, well, it's only ended on a home run. That's yeah. What I mean. It might only ended a walk-off home run. Uh, okay, I got this. Uh, Carter, Luis Gonzalez, and uh, I know that one for sure. I can see it happen in my mind when the Diamondbacks beat the, the Yankees. I think that was 99. Um hope that was one of the, the one that I'm thinking. There's, There's one, one I'm going, really surprised you're not getting. I'm going through all the stuff in my head. Um, what, the, the, the Atlanta Braves had, technically had a walk-off with Tom Glavin's one-hitter? No, that doesn't work, actually. Wait. No, because they had a walk-off in the in the championship series. Their, no, their last out was a, was a, was a hitter flying out. So that's not right. Um, so it was a Carter for the Blue Jays, Luis Gonzalez for the Diamondbacks, and... God, what am I missing? What am I missing? Go ahead. Uh, so technically you didn't get any of them because it's Joe Carter, not Gary Carter. Joe, Joe Carter. I don't know why I said Gary uh, Carter. Joe Carter. Luis Gonzalez was the 2001 World Series, by the way. That was 2001. Yeah, as I was say, I didn't think uh, it was the 90s. But you missed Edgar Renteria for the Marlins in 97. I can literally see him doing it because Craig Council scored the winning yeah. run. I, can, I remember. For some reason in my head, that was Ivan Rodriguez. I just, yeah. I don't know why. He wasn't, that was, he won the, the, the 2000s World Series. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's With probably right. And then whatever, yeah. a name I don't know is Gene Larkin. Yeah, I, I, my, I, I wouldn't have gotten that one. I definitely should have gotten, uh, yeah, I was surprised you didn't Renteria. get Renteria. Uh, but you got, you got seven out of 12, which is quite good. I think I could have done better than that too. I think I could have gotten oh, more, yeah. like nine out of 12. If you're doing these normally, you got a full day to think about yeah. them. So you're on, you're under adverse conditions. I'll, I'll give you some, you know, some leeway yeah, for I'm that as to well. I'm trying to take too much time. But on the still show. An, yeah. an impressive show. Team. I'm, I'm yeah, impressed. I appreciate it. I appreciate you know, it. Most people I know, even in, even in areas where like they are, they are knowledgeable. Like there's a difference between being generally knowledgeable and being like trivia level knowledgeable. Um, so that 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 was that was very good. To be fair and to pat my own back here, I will say this: some of these questions, especially for my area of expertise, I found relatively easy. And in some of them, I was like, "That's actually a very good question." Yeah, because it's something you like you should know or your, your memory should be able to jog. But like, it's very there's detailed. A twist in it. Yeah, there's a twist in them. Like, like the, uh, the, the, yeah, the twist ones was good. Like the one about like the Braves or whatever. Like, because like it's like your questions were like you always tell me how you break them down. Well, I'm like, well, you have to remember that the Atlanta Braves weren't in the National League East at the time; they were in the National League West for some reason. You know, we <laughs> had to like play against the Giants and shit. Like that doesn't make sense or whatever, you know. But that was before realignment happened and stuff. So before they made things a little bit better. So, well. That was fun. Yeah. Uh, so I've got my uh, our, our next season actually starts next week. I think the the seventeenth. So excited to get back to to regular trivia. I played a uh, there was a, a mini. The other thing that happens in the off season is mini leagues where you know you can you can just sign up. They're 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 free to do, um, and you get sorted into groups of twelve, and you play eleven days. So it's round robin in your group, and then the top two from each group advance to the finals where you do a one day. So that, that same kind of 12 question format um, and the people who do the best in that, in that day among those, you know, X that qualify win that mini league. And there was one in this off season that was all basketball related. So I did that one. I did pretty well. I think I was like fourth in my group, but um, 
I, I mean, I nailed all the just regular NBA questions uh, and most of the WNBA questions where they got me was like, who wrote different like basketball autobiographies and yeah, the, like all the all the tangential basketball stuff like yeah who made the what was the name of this documentary about like whatever you who made yeah who made this movie about I'd be like yeah, I don't fucking yeah know. exactly <laughs> which which is you know that's how you keep it fun it can't just be like all the same same kinds of questions because yeah, then the the person who has like the encyclopedic knowledge will never lose like it doesn't give uh, you know someone else could have a, a branch of knowledge like oh I'm into autobiographies or I'm into books or I'm into movies yeah. and like yeah that makes sense you got a lot of a lot of ways to intersect there, that was so. fun by the way it was cool it was a surprise. I had no idea Ross is going to do that. And uh, I like being able to like talk through your thinking process and a little bit of it too. It's fun. Yeah. And I, it's one of the things I miss with, with, um, with COVID is not going out to bar trivia because that's one thing that if I ask people to come do, they will because they know that I'm just going to win them free beer. <laughs> we had so much fun every time we've done it too. Like I, I listen and try to help on the questions that I know. And like, that's the other thing too. If, if, if I'm ever in a trivia thing with you, if I answer a question, like 99% of the time, I'm probably right. Like if I'm going to take yeah. the time to actually answer the question, I'm not going to be wrong. Or I will give you like, if you're like, give me your best answer. I will just give it to you or whatever. I'll but often, like, like if I'm with people, like, I, like, and I see a connection to the problem, but I like, I like, you know, the same way you chance. Yeah. Like usually I see like, well, I know like, wasn't this person, but it was the other person who I think was in this movie. I'll like ask yeah. them some unrelated question person. I'm sitting with like, who was the actor in this movie? And they're like, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, that's the answer. They're like, Ross, yeah, how yeah, the yeah. fuck is that the case? And I like have this long convoluted reason where I'm connecting just like the same six way. different yeah. facts that I have in my head. Yeah. Um, but the, so yeah, no, I, I love me some bar trivia and I know basically every place in Roanoke that does it and when they do it. Uh, and I'm I'm looking forward to getting back into that. But the the Learned League is fun. When um traveling gets okay, like I I need I need to, I keep saying I need to look into getting my shots. I need to actually sit down and do it. Um, the first time that we can travel, or whatever. I'm coming up there. We're gonna do bar trivia. We'll do a round of uh disc golf. Maybe I've never done it before. But I'll play some basketball. Yeah, with I've you got guys. a spare like, set we'll, of discs we'll also- for a disc golf. So you're welcome yeah. to borrow them. Yeah, sure. I'm gonna do, throw my do arm some, out doing do it. Do some karaoke. Yeah, uh, I'll watch. Gary yeah, yeah. you don't, you don't have to participate if you don't want to. Participation yeah, is strongly encouraged. It's strongly encouraged, but I don't want to discourage anybody else from listening to people. In the future, <laughs> so that's why I don't do it. Okay, why don't we uh, bang out some overrated, underrated, and then we will wrap up the show. Yeah, make sure we do our uh, sponsor pitch as well. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll get to that. So anyway, don't worry, Barrister and yeah. Man. We love you. Yeah, yeah. I will say we, uh, we had some Twitter interaction with them this week, too. It was really nice. All right, where is the overrated, underrated? We had some really cool ones that I'm hoping to get to soon, but I don't think we're going to get to them today. But we could probably bang out a few here. Um, Cathal asks what the modern format did to the game. Probably underrated. I think modern as a as a non rotating format is massively positive. I know people have had their issues with modern over the course of the time, but like, there's a reason it's really popular. You want to know the main reason for me and why I agree with you, or one of the main reasons? What it replaced. This was a significant move up and forward. Yeah, ex- extended got bad. Yeah. Uh, Coldman Taliber asks of the Harlem Globetrotters. Uh, I'm going to say underrated for their, their like history, you know, like obviously like nowadays, not the thing, but like that kind of thing in the past and going around and having a lot of fun. You should, if you, if you don't really know much about the Harlem Trotters and what it, what it, what it was about, you should do some research someday, like watch some videos. There's so much more to it than people know. And it was really cool. Yeah. No, uh, like it's not really a thing I've ever been interested in. Um, so in that sense to me, it would be overrated, but th- yeah, they're definitely historically very important. Uh, I have no idea how to pronounce his name, but I believe him. Uh, Wessel Groot says expanded playoffs in sports. Over overrated. I like smaller playoffs. I hate that baseball is expanded. I hate that the NFL is expanded. I don't even like. I I hate the play in tournament that they're doing with the NBA this year. I 
I just hate it all. And I have to, I, I really hope that you also hate the expanded baseball playoffs. What do you think my answer is for expanded baseball? I mean, I, I'm not 100% confident, but I'm hopeful because you are a man of great taste that you have the correct answer here. I don't hate it. I fucking hate it. <laughs> it, it you want to know why? It, it has nothing to do with, uh, oh, it's like the spirit of the game. It's been this way forever. Like, I actually like the, the extra wildcard teams getting in, you know, getting a, a, a fifth team in. I think that was fine. But with expanded playoffs, you're seeing like the sixteenth come in and the seventh team come in and the eighth team. Like, I think it's kind of ridiculous that in basketball, pretty much half the league gets into the playoffs. Slightly more, you, actually. You don't want that in baseball, in my opinion. And I, I really want to like write an article or have a show where I explain this and talk about this, where I think it's actually bad for the game for it to happen, especially in a game like baseball where there is no salary cap, quote unquote, no salary cap. Like there's 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 stuff there, but there's no salary cap like there is in football and in basketball and stuff like that. And the reason I hate it much, I'm gonna. This is gonna be a long-winded answer. I'm sorry, but I, I I feel very strongly about this. The main reason, the easiest way I can put this is, when you do this, when you expand the playoffs like this, and you show that, oh, more and more teams make the playoffs, more wild card teams make it in. These teams with like way less good records. You know, you no longer do you need like 95, 96 wins. You're getting teams in there with like 86 wins. You know, barely over 500. You know, barely a winning team. You know, that kind of stuff. You're having those teams make it in. What you do is you actually create a race to the middle instead of a race to the top, like you're having with only a few playoff win, uh, teams make it in. Because when only a few teams make it in, right, like you have to be one of the top two teams in your division, and more likely you need to win your division, right, to make it in and to have a legit shot. Like sometimes a wildcard team wins, you know, it's easier for a non-wildcard team to win. But when you put this many teams in, owners are going to figure out they're going to be like, wait a minute. So you're telling me I don't need to spend $180 million on my team this year? Like this $110 million team made the playoffs by being a wildcard team? All right, let's 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 shed $50 million and whatever. And obviously, you know, you could talk about what you want about capitalism and all that stuff about like players make too much money, blah, blah, blah. I want to see the owners spend their money, right? I want to see the players get a fair shake. I think it would uh, hurt the players. I think it would hurt the amount of jobs in the game. And I don't just mean player-wise. I think front office and stuff like that, you would see uh, a reduction in kind of stuff. Yeah, support and I just staff think and all these teams, medical staff, all of that stuff. It's very comparable to what you see like Walmart and Amazon do to small businesses. And the fact that they were just racing to the bottom to get the, they found the lowest price point that they were willing to sell things at and they could just sell so much of it, it doesn't matter, right? I know it's not a direct correlation, but you see what I'm trying to get at there. And I don't want to see teams be okay with mediocrity in a sport. And it sucks too. Like you can talk about all the, like these teams that that are tanking and like blah blah blah. Like it's bad for the game. At least it's a system that somewhat works. And I really don't think you would like the product of like, you know, one or two teams. So like the Yankees are still like, or the Dodgers are like, yeah, we'll still spend three hundred million this year because we want to win World Series. But then like all these other teams are like, yeah, we, we're cool with just making the playoffs and being a stepping stone. You know, and then, hey, we might get lucky, right? And and that's gonna be the argument, right? There's those Florida Marlin teams, right? That spent like no money on their team. Everybody hits at the right moment, right? You look at the Kansas City Royals. Everybody worked out at the exact moment, right? Like their whole team like had like their best seasons in like this two-year span, right? Everyone matured at the right moment, blah, blah, blah. It worked. And then, oh, where, where's that team now? Yeah, they're everywhere if they're still in the league and making money in other places because they couldn't afford it and stuff. So, yeah. Uh, Cathal comes back with the next one, kind of a tie-in to their last question. Extended the format. Overrated. It was pretty bad. I think historically extended was very fun, but towards the end of its life, it got very bad. And that's my, that's like my uh, response to it. Like that's where I, you know, saw it mostly. So that's probably where I got this from. And there, there's also, the, I think 
just to, for a long-term you know health of that whatever your sort of secondary competitive format is having it be non-rotating is really nice because it affords a lot more stability so i, I think that just in general upgraded modern relative to extended as a long-haul format i'm gonna let you answer the next one quite a bit they said protest songs um i mean i like a lot of them and I think that kind of thing can be important, but it often um, it often gets used to focus too much on aesthetics of social change and and different movements. So you've got to be wary of that. So it's hard for me to say like underrated or overrated because it just um, you know. It, that's more a reflection of where the the masses of people are. Like if they are more too focused on aesthetics, then the the protest songs and other sort of uh, uh, accoutrement around these movements is going to be overrated. But if they're uh, you know uh, appropriately class conscious, then those things are probably underrated. All right, the next one comes from Joe. Suede shoes. I'm going to go slightly overrated because it's just too much work, and I don't love dress shoes. So. Um, I own a pair of navy blue suede shoes that I make a point to wear anytime I'm planning to sing Walking in Memphis at karaoke. Yep. I so, say you always bring them with you when you're doing karaoke, I remember. Yeah, <laughs> but only if I think in my head, I think I'm going to sing Walking in Memphis tonight. Otherwise, I might wear different shoes. Um, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of suede overall, to be honest, though. Um, so, yeah, but I don't think they're super popular to begin with. So, again, like kind of appropriately rated uh com uh masimo says companions post nerf uh i don't know how to accurately answer this it just sucks that they had to kind of like kill companions i mean they're they're still pretty good i would say they're they're probably a little bit overrated i would guess i think i think i thought i see more decks that have a companion that maybe shouldn't than i see decks that are like this should have a companion so mm -hmm. i would say slightly overrated okay cool cool up gamer says respecting elders i'm gonna go with slightly overrated in the sense that I think respecting elders just for the the fact that you should respect this person because they're like older to you and wiser than you is, is utterly bullshit. And the fact that I think they still should uh, demand your respect in the instance of like what they do, who they are and how they act should be something that you respect if it deserves respect. I would take it in a slightly different direction. And I would say that like we have a, as a society have a tendency to ignore people as they age um, and that's a problem. That's also a good point. Yeah, so it's it's less about the individual person and more about the group of the elderly as a whole, uh, and they often get ignored and overlooked in large part because it's not profitable to take care of them, uh, and they don't provide as much labor value um, because and we live in a heinous capitalist society. So when I think of respect your elders, I'm thinking of them as a collective as opposed to individuals because obviously there are some shitty old people. You know, Dick Cheney and Henry Kissinger are still alive. And I hope they die. <laughs> All right. Ziggy Starscream says the Boston Celtics. I'm going to go with underrated overall just because franchises that have had that much, like what's the word I'm looking for here? Just history and like demanding of respects from everybody else. Like it's hard to be that good and that well run for that long. This You said the Celtics, right? Am I? Yeah, the Boston, the Boston okay. Celtics. Okay. Yeah. So I think Bill Russell, very underrated. But the Celtics as an organization are very overrated. 
You think they've just kind of like lucked into a lot of it and stuff? Not necessarily. Like they've had they've had one title in the last like thirty years or whatever in the modern yeah, NBA. Overall, they've been a pretty. I think they're just a well-run organization and stuff. And like, there are, it's something they're, to be said about they're okay about being, right now. They've largely like they've signed like three max guys in the last five years and not really gotten anywhere with it. I I can agree with that. It's just like when I think about it, I don't just think of that stuff. I think of like the effect it has on its you know, like it's surrounding area, right? Like you think of like, again, the same city, the Red Sox or the New York Yankees, the Los Angeles Dodgers. They're at that level. I think overall of like the respect they demand from the, as an organization, but also the respect they demand is like just a cultural, like kind of icon type thing. They have actually transcended their sport almost just like the Yankees have not to the same level, you know, yeah, the Dodgers they, have, but like they're less than you would expect for a team that has the most championships of any franchise in their sport. Or are the, the Lakers tie them? This I think they're still one ahead of the Lakers. I'm not sure, but re- regardless, like they actually, I think, command a little bit less respect than relative to teams like you know the Warriors that have only really recently been dominant, though they have previous titles, or the Miami Heat. Um, a lot of it has to do with just markets that people want to play in, and nobody really wants to play in Boston because it's cold and rainy, um, and they want warm and sunny. Um, mm-hmm. But the yeah, like the also Boston fans are the worst. I can agree with that. Um, they are they are now tied at seventeen each between the Lakers. Well, it's the Minneapolis and the Los Angeles Lakers. Yeah, yeah, the they've, they've got five, I think, under Mike in. Maybe it's only three. I can't remember. The Lakers have been there thirty two times while the uh, while the Celtics have an absurd record of seventeen out of twenty one instead of seventeen out of thirty two. Yeah, so I the mean, Lakers are a little over fifty percent, and Boston's just killing it. Yeah, I mean, almost the entire day of the Celtics' success came under the Bill Russell era. Here we go. Do you know the third place team? Trick question. It's two with the sixth with six titles, which would be well, the. We say it's six titles. It's, it's the Bulls, obviously. Yeah, it's the Bulls yeah. and the Warriors, right? Yep, the Golden State Warriors. That one I would not. Golden have State slash Philadelphia Warriors. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. And San Francisco. And uh, yeah, but they got they got one with Wilt. They got one in the seventies with Rick Barry. They got three recently. I about Rick Barry. Yeah, yeah. And I can't remember. They might have gotten one really early too. Uh, let's let's move on so we can get a few more. Filio ask custom deck boxes. I'm gonna go with underrated because I think they're awesome. They're cool. They allow you to show off like personality. Like one of the most fun I've ever seen and ever had at SCG. Someone had a uh, like some. It was a uh, their deck box was like a Taylor Swift perfume. Like the box that the perfume came in or something like that. And everyone around was just having a ball, like talking about it and laughing about it and stuff like that. And just uh, I've seen some some cool custom ones come out of uh, England Customs and stuff like that. So I think definitely underrated. Ugh, God, deck boxes. Okay. We're getting out of hand. We're getting out of hand with all of the the paraphernalia, right? I I I remember when I first joined Team BCW, uh, and Rick, uh, our fearless leader, was like handing handing us different different product. Everyone else is taking like the, the fancy uh deck lockers, right? that that have like a dice tray in the top and they hold a million cards and they're really nice they've got the like magnetic uh you know enclosure uh and there's a little tray on the inside that holds the actual deck and and but the thing takes up so much space it's just gigantic and i remember i was like rick i don't want that what i want is your cheap two dollar plastic deck box in like four different colors i don't care what colors just not white, because the white is going to show scuff marks and stuff on it. Any sort of darkish colors, you know? 
and just gave me like four of those. And he kind of looked at me like I had three heads. It's like, Ross, I'm trying to give you really nice stuff here. And you want the, you know, lowest, uh, you know, product in the line because it's just like, it's, a, I mean, I, I get like people can take anything and, you know, express themselves via it. And if that's what you want to do, you know, far be it for me to judge. But as far as I'm concerned, it's a fucking deck box. And I just want the one that's going to take up the least amount of space in my bag and, you know, add the least amount of weight to my bag that I have to lug around, uh, you know, 30 weekends out of the year in 20 different convention centers. So, I, I, like, needing to have all these play mats and deck boxes and all this shit, I, I, I wish we could go back to the days where, uh, you know, you were the most Spartan possible. The one thing I, I do want to push people to do, though, uh, which they didn't uh, didn't do back in the day is to always come w- with pen and paper and to have appropriate tokens because that is, that's just about having the game flow nicely and being able to play the game crisply and communicate clearly. So that to me is is important. And if you want to have you know fun tokens, as long as it's clear on the token what it is and what its stats are, you know, I, go nuts. Um, but to me, like the deck box has literally no bearing on the actual game. So just give me the most Spartan one you possibly can. I'm going to skip a few here. It's easy to get through. Plus, like, I might want to talk about some of this stuff. Uh, Zero Cool says, whiteboarding an entire deck. I think it's cool. There's, like, some people out there that do this thing. I'm not super into it, but I will say this. I remember uh, the Mono Blue deck that I mentioned earlier that I made a top eight with in Standard. I played uh, whiteboarded Islands at that event. And just going back and watching my matches that were on camera and seeing the reaction from Twitch chat, worth every freaking moment. I just cannot imagine putting in the effort to do that and do it well, right? Because you've got to like, you know, lay down tape or something so that you can get a, a clean edge and sit there. I don't know exactly how long it takes, but like I imagine it takes, you know, at least 30 seconds to a minute per card, right? So you're talking about something that is taking you, uh, you know, maybe an hour uh, to do a full deck, maybe a little less. Like, uh, I just, why? I, no, I, I just, I don't get it. 100%. Um, all right. Next one. This one. This one's pretty cool. For um, th- th- this was really big on like social media and stuff for a little while. Sea shanties. Oh, I'm in, I'm in for the sea shanties. I knew you would. Be I'm in, in for the sea shanties. Yeah, you can't have the beer that I have and not sing a good sea shanty. I'm I'm in for that. I listen to like you know traditional folk music. Uh, you know, yeah, I'm I'm in. I'm in. Underrated. Uh, make sure everybody at home, if you haven't checked them out yet, check out Barrister and Man. That's Man with Two Inch. Check out their website. Lots of really cool stuff going on there. Um, lots of talk on Twitter and here in our Discord about some of their products. Uh, it seems a lot of people have been re-upping their orders. Like, they, they're catching up. You know, they're like, oh, you know, I'm kind of out of soaps. I had to re-up on some of the soaps. Uh, I don't know if you saw it. You got tagged in the conversation about they had tried out three of the scents and they wanted a new one. I think you were talking about, like, Always Go uh, Seville. I think is what it was. Yeah, so yeah, Seville, one Seville, two, Seville's good. I Bay Rum is one that kind of grew on me. I haven't had had it in a while. I remember like right out of the box. I haven't, I haven't tried it yet. I was I'm like, that's tonight. a little strong. But when I was using it, it, it kind of mellowed out in the shower, and I liked it more. Yeah, I found that like the first time I use them, and since it's new, it kind of like I don't want to say assaults your 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 nose, but like you notice that you know, I mean, you notice yeah. it more. It's like the first time you try a new flavor of something that you eat. You're like a brand new ice cream or something, right? And like you try it, and it's like way more, you know, pungent or way more like intense. You, yeah, intense. I think is a good word. It's more intense, right? And then you just get kind of used to it. So I'm excited about trying out some new ones. I will say this: I saw a Twitter interaction the other day where someone talked about that they used the uh, the shaving brush, the shaving butter, and the uh, the aftershave balm. And I think those are three of the products that I think I am the most happy with from Barrister and Man. And they talked about how it was the best shave of their life. And I legit, no bullshit. 
even if they weren't paying me and I tried this product out, it's the best shave I've ever had in my life. Uh, super smooth. I will say this. The amount of time my razor has lasted has gone up. Uh, my razor irritation of any kind has gone way down. The smoothness has gone up and the health of my skin has gone up quite a bit. And I got to say, there's just something therapeutic about like when you're shaving now, you know, I don't just squirt that crappy gel in my hand and like work it into my face or whatever. It's like, I know the products that are going into the, into the, into the thing that I'm using my face. I, I take the time to like heat up my razor, get some hot water in the, in the, in the sink, lather up, uh, the, the, the shave butter, whatever you want to call it. Speak slower, Tanner. And then am I going really fast? Mm, No, I just wanted to slow down so I could savor the moment. Yeah. And then. Oh, you're almost there. And then, <laughs> and then lather, get a good lather, you know, and then slowly work it into my face. And I don't know. There's something about it. Here's the thing. I know it, you're like, oh, you're saying this because you're whatever. I, I'm really not. I look forward to it now. Like it used to be like shaving and like doing all that stuff. It's a chore. It used to be kind of a, a, a chore, right? Especially coming from me who like I grew up in Catholic school and I had to shave every morning before I went to school because you can see me. I, I'm a bearded guy. I have. I couldn't have... I had to wear, I couldn't wear ankle socks. I couldn't have sideburns. I mean, you've seen, I've got a lot of hair, right? So I had to do this every morning. Otherwise they make you shave. I've shared hotel rooms with you, Tannen. I know. Yeah. They they make you shave with uh, the Bic razor, you know, the little crappy disposable Bic razor, and they don't give you anything. So you'd have to use like hand soap and like water, right? And so they make you shave. So like, I appreciate a good. Might as well just like can do a broadsword. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What is it? Uh, get the the, the crocodile Dundee knife. Like, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, like you see in all the westerns. So make sure you check out, check out the products. Not just shaving stuff in there. There's a lot of bars of soap. Um, I need to actually go go to the website. I haven't been in a little while to see what the new stuff that is. Like that's the cool thing, right? It's like they get new stuff every now and then, or new flavors that are or scents yeah, that are only seasonal version. stuff. And, yeah, yeah. The, it's like beer, right? Like you're like, oh, what's the seasonal stuff this year? You know. I think I told you. I think. I think it's like during spring or whatever they have their baseball scented stuff, and I'm, I'm sure that's coming that. up soon. Maybe a month, yeah, out, maybe a month out from that. I mean, spring training starts real soon, Ross. They're 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 getting going, so I'm I'm excited. Uh, it gives me something to do every day. That's what I'm that's what I'm looking forward to. So make sure you check it out, Barrister and Man, and use the uh, promo code MTG Rants to get 15 percent off of your uh, products. At the least, it's just gonna care a cop. That it's gonna cover your shipping. So make sure you check out that uh, that website. Uh, give them your dollary dues, as my friend would say, and uh, check it out. They're, they're also just a really cool company run by a really good person who plays magic and makes their own all their own stuff. So big fan of uh, supporting small businesses. So. Yeah. And, you know, actually supporting small businesses as opposed to like, you know, fucking Grubhub doing all their advertising now based around supporting local restaurants like pieces of shit. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, that's going to be about it for this week. Uh, lots of, you know, this is a cool episode where we did like a lot of the magic at the front and the rant kind of happened at the end. Yeah, we're, we're in Bizarro World. Yeah, I wasn't expecting the, 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 the baseball stuff. So I might have to put that with the tweet this week. It's like, oh, the, the, the rant is at the end. <laughs> we are, uh, we are going to, oh, we're going to close the same way though. And Ross, if they wanted to hear more of those rants, where would they go? Best place is my Twitter. I'm at Ross Hennitz. That's R-O-S-S-H-U-N-N-E-D-S. Good place to get. Uh, keep abreast of all my content as well as ask me questions as I do try to get back to people as much as possible. Then there is my written content on Starcy Games. My articles tend to go up every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern. If there's any change to that schedule, I do tweet it out. So um, it, uh, this week's article, as I mentioned in the show, is all about white aggro. So if you are a devotee of the basic planes, a.k.a. the anti-overturf, uh, you can check that one out. Then there is Versus Live, the show I co-host twice a week with Corey Beimeister. We are on the uh, SCG Twitch channel every Tuesday and Thursday afternoon from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern. And if you can't catch us live, though I do suggest you do because we do take questions live from the audience and have a good time, 
you can find the VODs on the SAG YouTube channel the following day at 5 p.m. Eastern. Uh, last but not least is my Twitch stream. I have not streamed in quite a while, but I promise you that is coming back. And if you follow me on Twitter, you'll find out exactly when. Tannen, where can people find you should they want to ask you about shaving balm and baseball? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at the Tannen Grace. I'm pretty active on there. In fact, like it's probably the site that I'm on the most nowadays. Uh, e- nice, easy, you know, click on the phone. Um, I've actually been streaming quite a bit. I've noticed uh, lately. Yeah, I've been having a lot of fun. This set is awesome for limited. I've been playing. I have been streaming standard as well. So if you want constructed or you want limited, um, quite a bit going on there. I do recommend that you come watch some of the limited stuff and what I've been saying in this format about like what's good, what's bad, what's surprisingly good, what's surprisingly bad in this format because the next arena open is limited, Ross. Ooh. It's sealed. I'm going to be playing my first arena open. I'm excited. Uh, I'm probably going to fire multiple bullets if I have to, whatever you want to call I, We call them bullets because of, of poker or whatever. Uh, multiple shells, whatever you want to call it. So um, I'll be doing some, um, I, I do endless drafts on there. I have VODs up. So you can check out stuff and you can see how cards play out and stuff in the format. Uh, I'll probably actually do some sealed sometime soon and get a little practice in. So make sure you check it out. And that's just Tannen Grace on Twitch. There's no D there. So make sure you find it there. Uh, the cast itself uh, is at, at MTG Rants. Very easy to find on Twitter. Uh, on there, we have a link to our Discord. Make sure you check that out. And I would be remiss if I didn't give a shout out to our patrons at home. Y'all are awesome. Y'all keep us going. We do have something really cool in the works for y'all. We may have a patron only show sometime soon. We'll see. Uh, we've been putting out a lot of extra content lately. So uh, that's been kind of put on the back burner while we uh, work on this nice surprise that y'all have got. And for everyone that monetarily supports us through that Patreon system, we thank you very, very much. We love all of our fans equally, but we love y'all just a little bit extra. <laughs> if, you, if you know what I mean, you know what I mean. So uh, we got that. We got that little bit. Some love is end. more equal than others. Yes, yeah, some love is more equal than others. But we do really appreciate everyone that listens to the show. I, I get at least one person a week. I mean, a week. At least one person a stream that comes in and says something about the podcast and says something nice. So I really appreciate that. We appreciate every each and every one of y'all, whether y'all can support us monetarily or not. But that about does it for this week's. Uh, make sure you check in with us on Twitter uh, to see when this episode goes live in any new episode going forward. This was a Friday evening that we're getting this done. So hopefully this gets in before Monday because Monday is going to be a lot of stuff. So we may have a quick turnaround on shows this week coming up. So we'll see y'all talking all about what happens on the band restricted announcement Monday because I'm expecting a lot of stuff and I'm looking forward to it. So we'll see y'all next week. <laughs>